Hello and welcome to episode 37 of the Film Yak Podcast. I'm John. I'm Kevin. And I'm JR. And today we're getting together to talk about Brazil, which is Kevin's pick. Since Jonathan wasn't here last week, we just jumped right over him to Kevin. How do you feel about that, Jonathan? He can't respond because he's not here again for the third week in a row. But he has uh, assured me that he'll be back next week. It'll be his pick next week, and we'll talk about that more at the end of the show. This episode, we're going to talk about Brazil and other stuff we watched and lots and lots of the trailers that uh, dropped over the last week or so. How's everybody doing? How's it going? It's good. It's a, uh, it's a trailer-heavy week. It is. Yes. It's a insane. Lot of, a lot of work. Yeah. To watch those two-minute clips. I know. Yeah. It was, uh, I, I was really pissed off when uh, I was telling Kevin before we started recording, I was really upset when First Man dropped because I was like, I just out of nowhere. It's like, now I have to put this up on the site. You know, if it was just some nonsense movie, I wouldn't worry about it, but it's just like, this is going to be like an awards contender and Damien Chazelle just won the Oscar. It's just like, <laughs> good fucking God, you know? <laughs> But, uh, yeah, so let's just jump right into those, I guess. We can just talk about First Man while we're at it. Did you watch the First Man trailer? I did, yes. Okay, good. Uh, how do you guys feel? This is a biopic about Neil Armstrong from Damien Chazelle, who won the Oscar for directing La La Land. I guess uh, John wasn't on the show when we talked La La Land. How do you feel about La La Land? Uh, don't like it. Don't want any <laughs> part of it. Same here. <laughs> you guys are on the same page with that one. Yeah. Uh, I'm kind of lukewarm on it. I don't mind it, but I don't. It's not something I'm, I enjoy too terribly much. Um, yeah, so this is his first movie since he won the big Oscar gold. It's about Neil Armstrong. How do you guys think about this one? I would rather it was just an hour and a half in space. Hmm. Maybe like a couple of flashbacks here and there. So but more like, like Apollo 13 then. Oh, see, I was yeah, basically. <laughs> I immediately thought gravity, and I was like, oh. I don't want that. <laughs> oh well, I mean, you know, don't like gravity. Hated gravity. I don't know. Like it, it just seems like there. It seems like there's a whole lot going on that, like. Well, I think it's like less a biopic, or I think they're trying to paint it as less a biopic and more like the story of how we got to the moon. You know, this... right, right. The story of the struggle, but focusing on one character. Yeah, making yeah, it yeah. a biopic. Well, two characters. Seems to be about his wife, also. Oh yeah, to oh, yeah, yeah. Played by Claire Foy, right? Whom I've never seen. She's but, in The Crown, but I've never seen The Crown, I and I haven't seen Unsane yet. Or, or oh, any that's the other, I forgot she was in that. Fuck. Any of the I, other things that are coming out? She's blowing up, man. She's in that. She's in this. She's in uh, that other movie that I didn't post trailer for. Girl with the Girl in the Spider's Web. Oh, that's right. Yeah. This is the unofficial sequel to uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where she plays the Rooney Mara part. I did right. not watch that. She Is that on like Amazon or Hulu or something? I don't know. Is it an Amazon movie? I thought it was a series. No, it's a movie. Oh, okay. It's a film. Okay. It's directed by uh, Fetty Alvarez, who did Don't Breathe and Evil, ah. The Evil Dead remake. Who's not? He's not bad. So I, I'm, like, okay. I like both those. Me too. I'm interested in seeing it. I just, I'm really disappointed that they had to like redo every like I'd be more interested if they just brought back Ernie Mara and had a different director than the fact that they recast. Yeah. But it's whatever. Uh, Cause I, I do like the dragon tattoo quite a bit, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Back to first man. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think it looks all right. I think it looks really pretty. Like yeah. it looks very well shot. 
and some of the like pyrotechnics and stuff in it look incredible like all the fire and explosions and shit. yeah yeah so somebody's house blows up I don't know. Does it? I thought there was, so. There was definitely a house fire. Yeah. Toward oh, the end okay. of that trailer. I only watched the trailer once. Okay. I don't remember. Not that you guys watched it like eight times, but I, right, right. <laughs> I just, uh, <laughs> I guess I missed that. But yeah, uh, it looks, looks pretty decent, I think. And uh, I don't, I'm not one of these people. I don't think Chazelle, I don't, I, I hesitate to say he didn't deserve the Oscar, but I don't, I'm not a big f- fan of his direction. Like, I don't think he's a great director. I think he's his material's okay. Whiplash was pretty good. La La Land's okay. They look good, certainly. Uh, and he's not like he's competent as a director. Mm. I just don't think I don't know if he's like one of the great directors or anything. I mean, he's very young. Also, he's like what is it, like twenty nine or something? Uh, so I don't know. Yeah, we'll have to see. Yeah, and I will. I'll oh, see it. Ah, uh, me too. <laughs> On to uh, widows. The new uh, Steve McQueen film, I Back from the Dead, Steve McQueen. This. Right? Get it? Back from the Dead. Yeah. Because he's dead? <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, no, the uh, the African-American, not African-American, he's British, right? Uh, Af- yeah, yeah. African-British? How do you say that when, they're, when it's a black person who's British? Uh, Is there like a politically correct term for that? Probably, but we're Americans, so we're dumb, so we so don't know. say black yeah, then? Yeah. You could. Or you just know. say he's the he's a director of uh the the director of uh 12 years a slave yes and hunger and shame shame yeah haven't seen hunger but the other two are good yeah what do you guys think of this one widows i'm looking forward to it it looks like it looks like what um oceans 8 should be uh I think it looks think, like I a think, better version of that movie. Yeah. I don't think. I don't think. It, I, mean, it's I think Ocean's Eight exactly is supposed the same. But. Ocean's Eight is supposed to be comedic, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. This movie's not comedic at all. It doesn't seem no, like. No, but uh, I I think it's really a strange choice for McQueen as a director because it's very like genre-y. It's like very. It's yeah. a very much like a like a kind of like a nonsense story, like something that was pretty goofy. Like yeah, like <laughs> that that part of it intrigues me. Yeah, like him him applying his talents to a story that absolutely is, yeah you know genre genre e and yeah maybe not so serious like I I really like hunger and shame and I, yeah. I like uh, twelve years a slave but those are all very serious movies oh yeah 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 very this one doesn't look unserious no no pretty, yeah, it still, <laughs> still looks serious <laughs> pretty grave yeah. Uh, but yeah I I just like that whole that shot where in the middle of the trailer with Viola Davis where. Just has that line where that just feels really out of place in a McQueen film. It's like nobody will think we have the balls to do this, or it's just like that's yeah. just such a weird. Like people in his films don't usually talk that way, so it's just yeah. strange to. Uh, seems like he applies a lot of realism to what he's doing, and this does not seem like it's happening in a reality to me. Yeah, but well, it's funny. Like two of two of those movies were period pieces. One of them is mm-hmm. in the '80s. One of them in the 1800s. So. Yeah, I guess this is present day. It looks England? like it. Oh, it looks like America to me. Okay, I think so. But uh, but yeah, I I think John's on the money about it being very heat ish. Yeah, looks like yeah. heat mixed with set it off. You guys mm. seen set it off? No, no, no the F. Gary Gray film, Queen, no. Queen Latifah. Um, it's not bad. Uh, <laughs> it's you know, okay. bank robber movie about women. Um, yeah, but we'll see. I don't know. I'll definitely see it. But uh, 
also Liam Neeson and Michelle Rodriguez, both of them being in it, really bizarre to me. Yeah, well, I don't. I don't think Neeson's going to be in it much. No, I don't think so either. But yeah, yeah. I, th- I think he creates a widow. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's just like, and Michelle Rodriguez, she's just like she's terrible. So I don't. How's she no. going to fit into this? Oh, she's so bad. What has she been good in? Fast Five. <laughs> <laughs> I I think I maybe only know her from the Fast and Furious movies. She yeah, was in the uh, I, uh, Walter Hill movie last year called. Uh, the, I heard about that. What is it called? And the, did not see it. I the transition know. or something. She plays like a a transgendered male uh, to female forced forced uh, yeah. transition. Right. They they forced they turned the guy into a woman without him knowing or without him uh, agreeing to it, and then she gets revenge on everybody. <laughs> wow, it's pretty goofy. Yeah. Uh, the Machete movies. Oh, is she in those? Yeah. Yeah, she's terrible. I can't. Yeah, like, you, you can't like. <laughs> Yeah, like those movies, you can't gauge anybody by like, you know, like by the usual, the usual acting standards because you know it's Robert Rodriguez, it's his his stab at exploitation films, and they're, you know, that's the point. Though. Obviously, like, goofy, like meant to be goofy. So mm-hmm. that's she hasn't done anything but that. It seems like so. I mean, well, I, I she think was she was in that in, movie Girl Fight. Yeah, I was about to say, that but too, I haven't I seen that. I mean, so. Yeah, I mean either. I mean, so. I don't think that really... We just, uh, yeah, we just don't... We haven't seen enough of her stuff. No. So. Fuck her. She sucks. Sorry, Michelle. I'm yeah. sorry. John's not I'm sorry. not sorry at all. You suck. Stop acting. <laughs> she's in... Oh, she's in Avatar. Didn't see it. Me neither. Oh, fuck Avatar. I don't know. A lot of people like it. Second highest... No, first highest grossing film of yeah, all time. Yeah, I think it's still a fil- yeah. first, is first it? highest. Really? Yeah, B, so. B Titanic. Yeah. So one man has But also the that the stupid Star Wars movie didn't beat it? No, Star Wars beat it for opening weekend, but not for all time. And I think right. the, I think we, uh Jurassic Park or Jurassic World is like number 3 right now. Gross. If I'm not mistaken. We just we only let bad movies make this much money. Yeah. Just, I don't agree with that. I think it could Titan- be a lot it like could be Titanic. a lot worse. Titanic is fine and I mean, if I'm going to have a number 1 film, I'd rather it be by somebody like Cameron than I mean like Thank God it's not Michael Bay with the number one movie of all time or whoever else. I mean, some other real, real piece of shit. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, and I'm not talking about like, you know, 90s fun Michael Bay, but like <laughs> you know, Transformers. Like, thank God Transformers is not the number one movie of all time. Yeah, then yeah. I'd have to really reassess my life. Um, okay. Well, uh, let's move on to uh, Suspiria. This is the remake of Suspiria. It's directed by Luca Guadagnino, who did uh, Call Me By Your Name. And uh, some Another other movies. Left turn. Tilda. Yeah, it is. It's a very strange choice, but because uh, yeah, was he nominated for best best director or no? I don't. Was think it so. just the movie that was nominated for best picture? Picture, actor, screenwriter won okay. won the screenplay Oscar. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, for ad- adapt- adaptation um, among probably cinematography and something else. Oh, yeah, right? whatever. Yeah. yeah. Uh, lesser Oscars. Um. Yeah, I don't know. Suspiria. I uh, hadn't seen Suspiria before when I watched this trailer. Watched it uh, over the course of the last couple of days in parts just because that's my life now with a baby. Uh, but, um, <laughs> yeah, this one, very intriguing. Looks great. Another just, like, this looks gorgeous. I don't know. The cinematography is just beautiful. And uh, very creepy Polanski-looking movie. 
and uh, I'm very excited about it. Yeah, it kind of uh, reminded me a little bit of uh, The Omen. Mm. Richard Donner. Right. Do you guys know who was originally supposed to direct this remake? No. David Gordon Green. Oh, Jesus. Transition time. <laughs> oh! Well, real quick, before we talk about that, uh, Tom York did the score for this new one. Oh, interesting. Uh, of Radiohead fame, so that'll be that'll be interesting to see how yeah. he deals with that. Because I'm not a huge fan of his solo work. His first album is okay. Uh, his stuff after that mm, is like side pro- Adams for Peace bullshit. It's not very good. <laughs> There's... So. um. The Goblin score from the original has quite the reputation. It's for amazing. Being a wonderful piece of music for a film. Yeah, huh. it's. Uh, I was going to say that for when I talked about it, but it's great. It's real. It's not to spoil how I feel about the film. You guys probably already know if you see my letterbox, but it's way better than the movie deserves. Done. Done and done. I can't wait to talk to you about it. I can't wait. I got so many questions. I'm not. I got okay. so many questions. Okay. Um, I know what you. I know what I know what John gave it. Now I'm wondering what Jr. gave it. Let's move on to uh, yeah. David Gordon Green directed the new uh, Halloween sequel, which is uh, kind of uh, a direct sequel to the original, disregarding all right, right, other right. sequels that have come. And that's and all other like in canon. Like it ignores H two O. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Which is great because H2O is a real piece of shit. <laughs> right. uh, yeah, no, it, it, as far as I know, it, it ignores everything two through eight or whatever the rest of them are. And the, and the Rob Zombie movies. Right. Well, yeah, well, those are remakes anyway. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah so this one uh, takes place 40 years after the original, where Lori Strode is an old lady who sh- likes to shoot guns and uh, is waiting to for the opportunity to kill Michael Myers. And when he escapes and comes back to the town of New Connecticut Haven, what is it called? What's it? Is it New Haven, Connecticut? Is it New Haven? No, it's not New Haven. It's it's like it starts with a C, I think. I don't know. When he comes back to that town and he starts ripping people's teeth out, it's look. It's (laughs) it's looking all right. (laughs) They, man, they're gonna have quite a challenge making him escape without it seeming like the dumbest thing in the world because having like those people that want to go talk to michael and show him the mask just sounds like a really you know horror movie like dumb person idea yeah like of course he's fucking getting out um yeah i want to see how he gets a hold of the mask yeah like does he because he escapes at like from the look of the trailer he escapes in a bus crash at night but they show him the, the mask in the middle of the day inside of the complex how does he get the mask? <laughs> you know, well, like that. Um, like he goes into the bathroom with one of the psychiatrists in the trailer. Like she's and, in the stall. Sorry, someone is in here. Oh, is that? And is she it, one of the psychiatrists. Yeah, yeah. At that point, he does not have the mask on. I didn't yeah, put that together. I'm, I'm pretty, my, yeah. That's my mistake. Yeah, it's probably like probably like Watchmen, where you know, like your turn, Doctor. What do you see? Okay. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> but yeah, it looks uh, appropriately, uh, you know, scary-ish. Um, I mean, in 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 the way that Halloween is scary, it's not really that scary. But yeah, uh, you know, I liked I I really liked him throwing putting the teeth on the floor. That was cool. It was. Yeah. You know, it seems actually more intense than something that the original Mike Myers would have done. 
he never really did anything that intense. He just like stabbed people once and then killed them. You know? Yeah, and yeah, yeah. He wasn't doing a lot of uh, theatrical intimidation, right? In that first movie, exactly, yeah. exactly. And apparently, it's uh, the same actor who played the original, what they call him, the Shape. Do you know? Uh, they, do you know they call him the Shape? No, yeah, they didn't. They call him the Shape for some reason. I, like I don't that. know why. I like that. It's cool, but it's like it's such a weird like because they don't call him that in any of the movies. I don't think it's just like a thing that fans call him. Huh. It's really bizarre. But anyways, um, yeah, it's the same actor who played the original. Who he's gone on to direct a lot of films, apparently, uh, huh. horror and otherwise. So yeah, and executive produced by John Carpenter, who's you know just really got a hard on for paychecks these days. Wants that money. Oh, and uh, well, he's got all those gaming chairs to buy, man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't think we mentioned it, but my comment earlier was because David Gordon Green directed this yeah. remake. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Former former critical darling turned pot comedy director. Yeah. 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 Pretty shitty director. <laughs> Pineapple <laughs> Express is, I'd say, still critically well-received, though. Yeah, but a- after that, he kind of went oh, yeah. hard into movies. Like The Sitter and... Um, Your Highness. Your Highness, Your Highness yeah. yeah. And then, then, then he, he did some... Our Brand is Crisis. Oh, he did, a, which... he did a Prince Avalanche also. Which was okay. That was fine. Mm. I didn't see either one of those, but... I don't think anybody saw our brand is crisis. No. So. All right. Well, uh, yeah, those are the trailers. There's uh, all of those trailers are on our blog at filmyakpodcast.com with several others that we don't have time to talk about right now. Mm. Um, so go check them out if you feel inclined. And let's move on to what we watched. All right. I'll start. <laughs> All right, I got uh, I got all new releases this week. Oh yeah, which is, um, nice. It's never happened before. Uh, so after we recorded the last podcast, I went and saw a screening of RBG, mm-hmm. a documentary about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, directed by Julie Cohen and Betsy West. And uh, it was a weird experience. The thing was filled. It was a like sold out theater at the Manship, but it was only people that really like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. And, and I, I'm I'm one of those people. Um, were you the only guy? No, no, no. <laughs> okay. No, there were there were plenty of other husbands there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I'm kidding. No, I was not the only guy. Okay. Um, it looks like a pretty evenly mixed group, male and female. Um, but like some people like stood up at the end and were clapping, and I was like, the whole time I, I was like, man, this is really preaching to the choir. And yeah. I'm I'm part of the fucking choir, and I'm still not into this. That doesn't mean, yeah, it doesn't mean you have to uh, play along, drink the Kool Aid, you know. That uh, yeah, people. Okay, just even beyond the fact of the whole you know liberal bubble thing that's existing in that in that situation, clapping at a movie screen just get dead. Yeah, I mean, like, what is well, the fucking point? No, I. I get it if it's like we're at a festival and like the directors there. Yeah, are I get it if we're at a festival and the directors there. You're not. So right. what the fuck is the point? Situation. What is the fucking point? I'm sorry. No, it's weird. It's like it's just John to let other people know. <laughs> it's just to let other people know that like I liked this and yeah. I'm proud of the fact that I liked exactly. it. Exactly. So it's bullshit. It's like yeah, I'm it's clapping like, for myself. Watch me clap for this, so you know who I am as a person. Right. Go fuck yourself. Yeah. It's the same thing as like being on MySpace and like putting your favorite bands on there. You know, this is the shit I'm into. That's how cool I am. Fuck you. You know. Anyway, I mean, how do you make friends if not exactly right? Yeah, selective mu- music taste. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, All right. Yeah, especially on my face. 
So RBG is just an advertisement for um, for how great Ruth Bader Ginsburg is. And uh, anytime there's like an interesting avenue they can explore, they don't. Uh, and, uh, you know, that could be, you know, RBG's team or Ruth Bader Ginsburg's team was like, this is a very like carefully curated film. You know, like her kids are in the film a couple times. And, like, they make these weird kind of, like, half-jokey comments about how she was never at home and, like, she can't cook and, like, just was not really much of a mother. <laughs> ah. But they don't explore that at not. all. Yeah, and, like, they talk about how um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg won five of her six, like, first cases that she argued in front of the Supreme Court. But they don't tell us about the one she lost, which I think would give me a lot more insight into, like, okay, what happened? What did she learn? What did she change? Right. Like, to figure how out do you like, how get she became a, a human being better, as a lawyer. Or, or, yeah, yeah, better lawyer, a better judge. Like they don't give us anything besides just like the wins and how great she is. And just that is useless to me. I Yeah. Like you I, already think she's good. Yeah. yeah that's is, why you're and there. Everyone going to see this already thinks she's good. Give right. me something something more substantial. They don't interview like any of the people on the Supreme Court right now. Do they interview might, her? Yeah. Okay. She's in a lot and there are also like these weird uh, pathos moments, like her talking to her granddaughter, looking at old pictures, and it's just like this is this is useless. Like you've already basically told me that you're not a very good family person by showing your kids. Uh, I don't know what this is doing besides just like giving me an, a cute little laugh. Uh, yeah. And so that's a it's a it is a waste of time unless you just want to see ninety minutes of why Ruth Bader Ginsburg is great. But if you're interested in that at all, you probably already think she's great. So don't go very, spend your money. Yeah. Common trend in uh, documentary filmmaking these yeah. days is like it's just like this quick, like this movie will be on Netflix in the next two months probably because it's just like probably. one of these yeah. like feel good docs that's just like you said preaching to the choir, telling you exactly what you want to hear. Uh, you know, I to- I talked to you last time about I am Chris Farley, like this this documentary about Chris Farley that's literally just about how great Chris Farley is and like how funny. Oh my god, he's so funny. And David Spade talking about, oh my god, he in this scene and he did this crazy thing and it was just amazing. Everybody laughed and it's like it's like ninety minutes of stories about him doing funny stuff and it's like I I already know he's funny, yeah. like I get it. Like you're not gonna illuminate anything about how funny this man is. There's nothing but him doing comedy existing in the world. Like, if I look up a video with Chris Farley, chances are he's being funny. So why would you make a whole documentary about people telling me how funny it is? It's just fucking boring. And it's like, yeah, it's just for people to reaffirm. Yeah, yeah, he is funny. I love that. That's great. You know, it's like, yeah, it's fucking terrible. And there's a lot of these uh, just, yeah, like very easy to swallow, boring, middle of the road, shitty documentaries. And it seems like that's all they make now. So, <laughs> and this one, I, you know, I don't watch a lot of documentaries. I, I typically, and I have like this thing where I don't trust them, mm-hmm. just you know, because they're presenting truth, but they can present whatever truth they want. And it's really easy to manipulate yeah. any documentary, and that's fine. And there are good documentaries, and I tend to like documentaries that kind of play with, you know, truth more than just say like this is these are the facts. Mm-hmm. But uh, like this is a documentary that's making a good bit of money for what it is. Mm. Uh, it's a pretty successful documentary. And uh, I don't think it should be. You just got to get the rubes in the tent, and then you got all their money. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> show them whatever you want. See, this is a, this is a two out of five. Don't, don't go see it. 
We'll we'll do. <laughs> Kevin. So I watched a documentary. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, yeah, Fad Gadget by Frank Tovey. Um, Fad Gadget is one of my easily my favorite um, electronic musician. And he was around in like late seventies, early eighties, like a little bit before and a little bit while the like British synth wave was going on. And like you can see like a lot of like precursors to, you know, industrial particularly, you know, nine inch nails and stuff like that. Uh Rammstein. Rammstein, yeah, for sure. Uh especially with the theatricality, like apparent you know, he um he would climb the rigging in the clubs and he would uh, like cover himself in like tar and feathers. He had a, uh, he had a song called lady shave and he would cover himself head to toe with um, shaving cream and, you know, pull out his body hair, stuff like that. Um, so that's a good, Sounds I like guess, a cool dude for sure. So that's a good like twenty five ish minutes of um, of the documentary, and then like the other forty minutes or so is of him like when he got out of electronic music and started doing more like acousticy stuff and like protest songs. And I was like, yeah, that's cool if that's you know that's what he wants to do, but it's just not that interesting because mm. like especially you know like late eighties like protest songs have kind of been done to death and like his album under the flag which was made right around the time the falklands war was going on and like um you know you do any reading of history you'll see that like the the radical right had like a pretty heavy hand in what was going on in england in the 80s and how like frightened people were of like how that kind of extremism was really taking over the place. So like you have a very interesting electronic album with very good lyrics about, you know, how people are living their day to day lives in what could be viewed as a dystopia, especially if you're, you're more on the liberal spectrum, but then you go into, you know, Bob Dylan folk songs and like Irish shanties from the 19 teens. And it's like, Okay, I mean, if it, you know, if that's what you want to do, that's cool. But like, whatever. I, but then, I, like, I, he, but then he ended his career coming back as Fad Gadget doing electronic stuff, and uh, like, uh, his last tour, he was opening for Depeche Mode, but then he died of a heart attack uh, before he could finish his last album. So. Did you see him? No, no, I didn't get. I like he died like probably ten, twelve years before I even knew who he was. Oh, okay, so. Do you think that the documentary explored this uh, acoustic period because, like, like, they thought it was interesting that he left electronic music, did this whole thing for a little bit, and then came back, and thus, like, the break itself I'm was sure interesting? That, I'm sure that was a big part of it because they were interviewing uh, Daniel Miller, the guy who made um, Mute Records, and he was a producer for, like, Depeche Mode and a bunch of electronic bands at the time. Um What's this movie called? Fad Gadget? Uh, Fad Gadget by Frank Toby. You can see it on YouTube. That's where I saw it. I just have to write down the name of it so I can uh, so I don't have to re- yeah. re-listen to this later. I've been trying to get all the names of the movies. Right. <laughs> by Frank Toby? Tovey. T-O-V. 
EY. Sorry, guys. Okay. Um, but yeah, so give that one a four. Cool. I uh, watched. Uh, okay, so I didn't watch a lot of movies this week, but uh, I did watch other stuff that I'm going to talk about. And the first thing I'm going to talk about is the Tig Notaro Happy to Be Here uh, stand up special on Netflix. Which, uh, you know, sometimes I'm bored during the day and I don't feel like watching anything that requires any kind of thought. So I just throw on a stand-up special, you know. And I don't know much about Tig Notaro except that she was on an episode of uh, Sarah Silverman's show, which is called I Love You America, I think. It's on Hulu. And uh, which I'm, I'm a pretty big fan of. And she was on that and she was very funny on it. So I was like, oh, I'll watch this. And uh, it's okay. Do you guys like Tig Notaro? Uh, unfamiliar. Oh. I mean, I, kn- I know who she is. Yeah. I know she's, she apparently has a really good book and then stand up special after yeah. she, the cancer yeah. thing. Yeah. I don't, I didn't see her, but, see any of that, mm-hmm. but, uh, and she has a show on Amazon or she had, I think I canceled, but called one Mississippi, but, um, you know, she's funny. Sometimes she has her moments. She's very like dry delivery, which I'm, I'm usually into, but I don't know. It gets a little tiring. And then she had this whole thing at the end of it that lasted like 15 solid minutes where she was teasing the audience, uh, telling her that, telling them that she had the Indigo girls backstage and that they were going to come out and play music. <laughs> and then they would never come out and she kept doing it. She was like, okay, ladies, without further ado, the Indigo girls. And then she like moved to the side and like, they wouldn't come out and like the crowd would like be losing their minds. Cause they, they really wanted them to come out. And it's like this back and forth, back and forth thing where she was like, you guys really think that the Indigo girls are here? Like get real. And then for 15 minutes that for like 15, like just literally like she introduces him like six different times and they don't come out. And it's like, and and finally I'm like, I'm like, this is actually really, it's kind of like genius. It's like anti-comedy almost, you know, it's like, it's like something Tom Green would do or something or like Tim Heidecker or something. But, uh, but then she, they actually do come out at the end. So so, I don't know if it's like, I feel like it's almost like kind of a letdown that they come out and play music because it's like, well, Kind of would have almost been funnier and more intense, like more badass if you had just fucked with the audience for 15 minutes and left, right. you know. Uh, but yeah, they come out and she plays drums with them, <laughs> so <laughs> it's pretty goofy, but uh, yeah, you know, it's all right. If you like Tignatar, I guess it's probably pretty funny. I'm not, I don't rate these things, I know they're on Letterboxd, but I don't, this is not a film, so I don't, mm. I'm not gonna log something like this. Okay. JR, all right, I saw, um, went and saw Solo, a Star Wars trifle. And, uh, <laughs> And uh, directed by Ronnie Howard, yeah, Ron, Ronnie it? Howard. Or, you know, he took over after. Um, He's the only credited director. Yes. Oh. Uh, and they Lord apparently and changed, fired. changed, or reshot enough that the original guys were were not in it, uh, not credited. Sorry. I think they're still wow. credited as like, producers or screenwriters. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, they're uh, still on it somehow. But yeah, I think I loved your review of this on Letterboxd. <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean the you know my main note for this is that it's just like a a very lazily written film. They were like, it's a high story, so we need betrayals. Let's set those up in the beginning so that by the end, you are not surprised at all with what happens. <laughs> you know exactly how each character is gonna get betrayed. Uh, I, there's like a moment at the end, or what I thought was the end, where I was like, oh, I, I guess that betrayal's not happening. Nope, there it is. Oh. they got me. Um, 
And it's, you know. Um, so that's how they surprised you. They, they made you, they faked you out thinking it wasn't going to happen the way you thought it was. And, then, yeah, and like, you know, my buddy was like, was that almost like Lord of the Rings? Because it just, it felt like it kept ending or should have, should have uh, been ending. Just kept going. So like this is a 135 minute movie that probably should have been like 110. 90. And it, 90. I mean, honestly, I've never, I haven't seen it. I don't plan on seeing it, but doesn't it seem like this is like a side movie? It's less oh, important. Disney doesn't even feel like it's that important, I don't think, compared no. to like their, you know, the actual trilogy that they're building. Right. Why would this movie be as long as their tri- as their actual, you know what I mean? It's like a side movie. It's like a little nothing, like heist movie about Han Solo when he's a young man. It's just like, who gives a fuck? Yeah, and there doesn't need to be that long. There it should be nothing parts. but action for 90 minutes. That should be. But some of the action... Some of the action is what gets us to that long run time, and it shouldn't be there. Like the right. Well, that's why you got to trim that shit out. You know, <laughs> um, you know, Donald Glover is uh, is pretty good. He's probably not in it enough. Mm, he right. has a uh, he has a droid with him called L three, I think. Yeah, she's she's funny. She's probably a little. Um, if there's probably an not L- very tasteful, she's like a <laughs> she's like really into droid rights. And like they turn like droid equal rights into a, no. a joke. No, they don't. They yeah. talk about droid rights. Yeah, she's like really. Excuse me, while well, I just o- open up my veins right now. O- <laughs> only, only the droid does, and I, you know, like Donald Glover's constant reaction to his droid companion is, is amusing, uh, but as a whole, it's it's not very good. Uh, you know, the guy who plays Paul Bettany. Oh, sorry. <laughs> I and I I don't have my computer with me. I think it's Alden Alden Aaron Aaron Reich. Thank you. Uh, it's bad for actors he's, everywhere. He's fine. You know, he's doing he's doing a Harrison Ford impression, and it's and it's okay. Uh, that's you know that's kind of all I have to say. Um, I don't want to give this film more attention than it it needs because no one gives a fuck about it. Uh. Inclu- yeah, as you said, including Disney, and. Uh, it's like if we're gonna pump out these Star Wars movies every year, can we can we like just take eight more minutes to write them a little bit more? Isn't it also telling that these the side films like Rogue One and this film they have so many production issues and like talent yeah. that's having to be fired and replaced, and that never happens on the big films. It's like they take a lot more time preparing. Yeah. The actual, you know, the huge films are like, well, let's get the good directors and the good experienced people like Abrams and Ryan Johnson and whoever else to be to direct the big films. And we'll just throw this out. Eh, Lord Miller, they did the Lego movie. That was fun. We'll let them do this one. So even though we have even though even though they explain their vision to us, we don't really give a fuck, whatever, do whatever you want. And then they did it and they didn't like it. So they just, yeah, we'll just change them out. I'm, I will yeah. probably read when someone writes a book about like what was actually in that Lord and Miller production that, that Disney didn't like, I'll probably read it. Cause I'm curious. This is, there are very few jokes in this movie outside of the whole droid rights thing. Mm-hmm. Um, which makes me think they really had to cut out a lot of Lord and Miller's script. Isn't that weird? Cause, Cause they're like, usually like, I've seen several of their films Yeah, and I think they're pretty funny. I think 21 drum street is funny. They, the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lego movie is a, is a nightmare, but uh, the the idea the that falling from the sky is oh, one of my favorite animated movies. I didn't I didn't see that one. Cloudy meatballs. Cloudy with a chance of meatballs. <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, the thing is, though, it's weird that they would like 
they would fire them because it was, too, it was too comedic, if that's the reason. Because I remember when Rogue One was coming out, they were talking about how they had to reshoot to add humor into it. Yeah. They're like, it's not funny enough. <laughs> like, there's, a, there's a delicate balance. I want to know what they <laughs> reshot, because Rogue One is not funny at all. No, it's, no. it's, a, it's a train wreck. Jesus. Um, you know, whatever. So, yeah, by my count, there's it's been like one out of four. One out of four of these has been decent. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure we're thinking of different movies. But Force uh, Awakens. Right, we're thinking of different movies. Oh, Jesus Christ. Uh, what, Last Jedi? Yeah, that's like no, the only no, movie that they've made. It's not very good. I didn't say it was very good. Force Awakens is my... The Force Awakens, I'll just say it right now. Force Awakens, best Star Wars movie that's ever been made. And uh, that's coming from not a Star Wars fan, so if that helps at all. I'm also not a Star Wars fan, yeah. so I'm, you know. I'm not a fan of the original three... Uh, I was when I was like 12, but uh, not now. Force Awakens is much better than those movies. It's just like a puzzle box nightmare of stupid shit in that movie. Uh, well, I, you know, we don't need to talk well, about what the is Force the Awakens. There's a puzzle box because because of the vision. It's all that, about that one mis- scene. It's all about the mystery of, of who this girl is. I see. That's only if you let it be, though. I don't feel. I don't feel like the movie addresses that at all. Yeah. That's the fan reaction, you know. Like she has yeah. to be Obi Wan's niece or something. It's like that's just the fan. I, that's why I kind of like the the Last Jedi. What mm. they did with it because they just kind of like they was like, you know what? Fuck it. She's yeah. nobody. He cut you know? all that shit out. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, He's <are> fine. <laughs> I, I I agree with Jr. I liked the fact that like no like like it was obvious that Ryan Johnson was like, hey, all this Star War, all this fan stuff. Fuck you. Yeah. I'm making my own movie, and that's fine. But yeah. I still think it's weaker than a Force Awakens than the Force the Force Awakens. Yeah. I think uh, this might be the weakest one yet. Fair enough. Sol- solo, sorry, yeah. I'd be shocked that's... if I liked it less than Rogue One. Rogue One was a, this a nightmare. I couldn't. Uh... Ro- yeah, Rogue <sighs> One was shit. Yeah, yeah but you're right. anyway, I don't know. Neither here nor there. I don't want to watch. I don't want to yeah. watch them again. I won't. Out. Yeah, I won't. This won't happen. So if two, there's two point two five. So there's a droid in this movie called L three. Sure. Could there be a droid somewhere in that universe called L seven? Yeah, I don't be know. A, a lesbian droid. Maybe. What? Because of L seven, the band. Oh. Like Smell girl, the magic. Girl band. They fam- huh. their bassist famously threw her used tampon into the audience at a uh, Lilith Fair. Was it Lilith Fair? I think so. Yeah. Something like cool. That. Cool, cool. It was. Yeah. It would. It would be the place to do it. This is coming from my extensive uh, VH1 watching when I was like thirteen. You know, you watch <laughs> VH1 all day and you learn a lot of stuff. Exactly. Yeah. All right, Kevin. Okay, so where am I? Uh, I rewatched Pulp Fiction. It's still a really good movie. I was telling telling John that I'd seen this thing probably a million bajillion times since I was you know fourteen, fifteen. Um, there's still a lot of good stuff that's going on in here, but so much of this, so much, a lot of it now is just like, no, no. Give us an example of a no moment. So there's probably the most shining example is this scene with Christopher Walken. Yeah. You know, he's given this harrowing story about how, you know, his grand, his great grandfather was killed. His His grandfather was killed. And then he was killed. So I had to wear this watch up my ass. Yeah. It's like, okay, up, like... Up, up his ass. Up his ass. <laughs> I had to carry this uncomfortable yeah. hunk of metal up my ass for five years. And it's like, okay, that's just... that's. 
I can see that it's kind of being played for comedic effect, but it just comes off stupid. Mm. And there's that scene towards towards the beginning where uh, Samuel Jackson's like, well, you are aware that there's an invention called television, and on this show they show shows, right? Oh, yeah. Well, the way they pick shows is they make one show. That show is called a pilot. And they show that one show to the people who pick shows. Yeah. And on the strength of that one show, they decide if they want to make more shows. Is the is like, the objection to the use of shows, the word shows? No, I object to being lectured in a very pretentious fashion. I feel like that. Ha- I, OK, come on, let me yeah. let me just say this, uh, that I feel like that might play differently to you now than it did. Oh, then yeah. because you probably like the first time I saw that, I, I guarantee I didn't know what a pilot was or how any of that shit worked. Well, yeah, so like, yeah. that's interesting at the time when you hear that the first time and he- hearing it now, it's like, I know how, I know how television shows are picked. Like, this is not interesting. Let's move on. Yeah. Well, it's like this, the way, you know, they stop, he stops and they're, he's, you know, in class now with Vincent Vega. Like if they had just been like walking along, you know, chatting, like the old friends that they are trying to catch up, it'd be, it probably would have been better. But like the fact that we have to stop and make it this, okay, this is learning time now, mm-hmm. children. And yeah, so that that just I mean this this really movie, put me off. This movie is really just like a collection of every idea Quentin Tarantino had had at that point that he thought was funny or eh. cool, and you can put them all together. And a lot of those ideas are good, and some of them are less good. Yeah, I think. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm a big fan of the question: uh, Is Quentin Tarantino uh, good? Because I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I I'd probably need to rewatch all of his stuff to to answer that question. So I've seen all yeah, his movies a fuck ton of times. Same and here. Now I wonder. Are well, that's good? that's that's what I'm doing right now. Like uh, last last time we were talking about Reservoir Dogs, it's like, yeah, I've seen Reservoir Dogs a bi- you know a billion times, but like it was really only this last time where it was like, you know what, Chris Penn is the best fucking actor in the bunch. So you know, you know, it wants to sound like. Like Skip Bayless or something doing doing hot hot takes like <laughs> like Quentin Tarantino sucks the most like critically acclaimed director of the past twenty five years or something but I, I don't think he sucks I, I just I, I wonder how yeah good I his think are. I think saying he sucks sounds very like I'm tr- like listen to me but uh, yeah. I don't think he yeah, sucks yeah. I think it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a like that's just like really like overly cynical to say he sucks uh, he I think he's Maybe overrated, but not. But I. But I also think that he's only overrated by. I don't think he's overrated by like the the true cinema community. Like I don't think he's overrated by, uh, you know, the Oscars or anything like that. It's not like he's won Best Picture or Best Director or anything like that. You know, he's won a couple of screenplay Oscars and his actor. Yeah, he's got two Oscars for Christoph Waltz, right? Yeah. I mean, that's that's not super high praise. You know, I mean, there's a lot of people who have writing Oscars. Uh, Jordan Peele has a writing Oscar now. I mean, it's like, but. I think he's over he's overhyped by the, you know, film nerd community, you know, and like you're, yeah, people yeah. who freshmen in college uh, think he's amazing. People who think Fight Club is the best David Fincher movie think he's amazing. And uh, that's uh, that's unfortunate. And I, I don't think that he, I think he's like extremely like a very, very he's like Spielberg to me in that way. He's like very, very mm. talented, but I don't really like a lot of the choices he makes. Yeah, and that that was the thing about going back and watching all of these because like 
I realized, like, you know, there was what I thought when I was 14, 15, 16, thought I knew everything about everything. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, when I was in college and I thought, oh, I didn't know everything about everything, but now I know everything about everything. Sure. But now... Now you know, you know I'm older. You, now and, you really know everything well, about. It. Well, now now <laughs> obviously I'm, now I'm now I'm older and I'm like I don't give a shit what I know. I just know what I like. Mm-hmm. So right, you're not in competition with the world anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. At at this point, it's like fuck it. Like if I like it, I like it. If I don't, I don't. I I think I think Pulp Fiction is is very good. I I, I don't think I can look at it objectively anymore and say like. Like what you said, there's a lot of good ideas and bad ideas. Like I can't, I can't, I can't think of a bad idea in it because it's just like I've seen it like a million times. It's, you know what I mean? They're all, it's all good because it's just I remember watching it when I was 14 or whatever. So it's, yeah, it's this just good. Is, yeah, this is like one of those movies where you know this is like the quintessential like, 14, 16 year old movie mm-hmm. for our generation. Mm-hmm. Like you would stay over at your friend's house. You guys would just stay up mm-hmm. all night watching this and Fight Club. Yeah. And blood scenes from other movies. Yeah, I watched the I last ten minutes of Taxi Driver a million times. You know, I want to see that guy's hand explode. It's killer. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you know, I I, uh, I I like it. I, I really yeah. I was I went to a period where I was like really into Tim Roth. Like I was just like, yeah, yeah. Everything Tim Roth did was fucking cool. I loved, especially Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction. But I would wa- like I, I remember going to the video store and renting shit uh, that he was in in the in the early '90s, like uh, No Way Back, and uh, there's a couple other ones. He did a lot of like gritty crime stuff. Yeah. Right did you pick time. up the movie he directed, Warzone? No, I haven't seen Warzone. I, 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 I was... remember it's funny that you say that though, because I remember seeing that one when I was looking for Tim Roth movies and not getting it because I don't think he's in it. But he's not. So. He's not. so it's like fuck that shit. I need I need Tim Roth in my life. <laughs> Incidentally, I didn't see his first film for many many years after the Alan Clark film that he was in. I didn't see that until the last five years or so. Oh, what's the name of it, that? He's really good in that. It's made in Britain. Thank you. It's excellent. Yeah, he's good in it. It's really well made. I I I, I like. I really dig Clark's aesthetic. His whole like uh, you know made for TV <laughs> <laughs> square. Uh, right. Yeah. So cool. Well, uh, so four out of five. Okay. Um, I watched, uh, speaking of Donald Glover, I binged about half of the first season of Atlanta, uh, which is quite good. Have you seen Atlanta? Only the first two episodes. Okay. I watched episodes one through six, I think. And, um, man, it's just good. And it's really funny. And, but it doesn't play like a comedy at all. It plays like a, you know, like a, almost like an art house film or something, but it's very funny and it looks amazing. And I don't understand, like I was thinking about this the other day, like the whole, like, cause there's people on i uh, I'm on this, uh, thing, this group on Facebook called film book, Fil- Fa- Facebook film forum. Are you part of this? No. Okay. Are you part of this Facebook film forum? Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm on there and, uh, these people, somebody posted something about, um, like digital versus film. And how like uh, they hate Scorsese's the way the Scorsese's movies look now because he's shooting digitally. And I was like, like one, I don't think that's true. So I had to go look it up. And they were like specifically talking about Wolf of Wall Street and how it's shot digitally. And it's it's not. It's some of some he shoots. You know, like most people, he's shooting certain things digitally, shooting certain things on film. And he's got a lot of effect shots in that movie, so he's shooting those digitally, which makes sense. But 
you know, I'm never, I'm not one of these people like Tarantino or Nolan who's just like, you know, film is God and uh, digital sucks. And, you know, it's like, whatever. You know, you just. It's use... not just film, it's glorious 70 millimeter. Right. C- celluloid. <laughs> uh, you know, whatever. It's. Kodak. I think. Instead I, of Fujifilm. When I watch Atlanta. And knowing that it's shot digitally, it makes me think, like, it just has to do with the people involved and the equipment involved. And it's like, if you want to make it look good, it can look good. How if, many... Sorry. No, I'm sorry. I was just saying, like, if you if you don't spend any time on it, it looks like shit, you know? If you mm-hmm. want it to look like a Marvel movie, that's very easy, you know? If you want it to look televisual, that's very, very easy. But if you want it to look good, there are things you can do to make it look good, clearly. Because there's a lot of films that are shot digitally that look amazing. I mean, look at like Fincher and uh, and uh, Soderbergh, and I mean a lot of these guys who shoot uh, only on digital now, and it's just and have been for years, and their movies look great, especially Fincher. So it's I don't know. I was gonna ask how many episodes did uh, Hero Mariah direct? I want to say like like a lot, like most of them. He uh, he has some very impressive music videos. That's a that's a fun YouTube rabbit hole to go down. He directed the uh, the recent um, much ballyhooed "This Is America" video huh? from yes, Don, Donald, Donald, Donnie Glover. Yeah, he hasn't done any movies, which is weird. I was waiting for him to like. I, I was looking to see if he's done any films because yeah, he's got a real great eye, you know. And he did two episodes of Barry Barry also, which is just a great show. Um, Atlanta. That's he's a, done fourteen episodes over the two seasons. So I need to get I need to get on that. You know, you'd think with a whole summer off, I could pick up a show and watch it and finish it. But you should watch this, and you should watch Barry. No time. No do time. It. You know? No, do it. Just stop watching classic uh, Lubitsch <laughs> films. And uh... it's so hard for me to do that, though. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm out of Lubitsch's. I know. Yeah, you you, you, you you finish. Now you made your list, and now you never have to think about it again. <laughs> all right well that's that's it atlanta's great lakeith stanfield too just i mean i i hate to even talk about him because i feel like he gets talked about a lot now but he's he's really funny in this so does that change your mind about maybe seeing uh fuck no no i will never see that movie whatever it's called the one that's about to come out the the, like satire one or yeah 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 like where he has to adopt the the white voice yeah yeah yeah. no fuck that movie i'm I'm out i'm out on that 100 percent. never unless you guys do it for the show, and then I guess I'll be forced to. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of Tessa Thompson, but that doesn't really make make me want to see that movie. Mm. Is that why you went to see uh, Annihilation? Did you go see no, Annihilation? That, I saw Annihilation. Okay. No, you saw Annihilation. Yeah, we all saw yeah, Annihilation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. it was a podcast episode. That that's was right, that was right. the whole thing. We were that's right because like forgot about that because like Jonathan saw like the teaser or something he knew and you know somehow in his mind he was like stalker stalker well it definitely looks i mean it looks like stalker at least from the teaser yeah the whole I but, mean, then, like, idea but then like you see, but then, like, you see yeah similar, similar but then like you see the rest of the movie and it's a pile of shit even the even the stalker elements are shitty in the movie yeah so. yeah <laughs> did you great. see that JR? Great, great book love the book. did you see the film i've heard a lot of good things about the you book. loved it no, I did not. I did okay, not love good, the film. I also <laughs> wouldn't call it a pile of shit. It's there were shit. piles of shit within the film. What's the good thing that's in it? That's not a pile of shit. Oh, don't make me do this right now. <laughs> oh no, you said I don't it. Remember. You said it. <laughs> he doesn't have his notes with him. 
Because I'm gonna, we're gonna talk about Suspiria in a few minutes, so just get ready. <laughs> yeah, um, I guess I'm gonna have to talk about a movie I haven't seen in ten years. Hey, deal with it. <laughs> All right, Jake, me. Okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. I saw. Um, I saw last year's like 2017 Sundance Darling uh, Thoroughbreds, mm. which uh, I don't know. There were trailers up the wazoo for this movie you know in january and february um it's like the two two girls like in the trailer one one feels nothing the other feels everything and they like they want to kill the the stepfather uh the trailers they looked very dumb um you know anton yelkin was in the trailers is like yelchin yelchin sorry He's like dead. someone they bring yeah. they bring in to uh to help them like he's like a low level drug dealer and I was just like this movie looks dumb it looks overdone it looks too stylized um and yeah it is uh it is probably too stylized but uh the two girls in it Anya Taylor-Joy and Olivia Cook are just like super hot they're just really good <laughs> They are just really good at what they're doing, and uh, might be kind of illegal. No, they're no, no, no. They're, they're both. Oh, okay. They're like twenty-two and twenty-five or something like that. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Olivia Cook was in Bates Motel. Uh, she was of age then, and she was playing a high school student. Well, I'll and talk about Anya on, Taylor Joy was in The Witch. Yeah, which I'll talk about later. Oh, yeah, yeah. And I am. I don't know what you thought about The Witch, but I am. I'm into The Witch and. Like this kind of cements that I am into Anya Taylor Joy. I did you I see like what she's uh, doing. the other one that she's in the Shyamalan film Split? Yes. Oh yeah. She good in that? She, I didn't see it, so I don't know. I don't remember much about. Split. She's scared in Split, and oh. like she does the horror thing. Okay. Yeah. She's not the problem. Does she Split. scream good? <laughs> she yeah. She's fine. She's okay, fine okay. in Split. Uh, but Split Split has issues. Um, yeah, I don't. Want, I don't want to talk about this one much because I think you guys should go see it. And I will see okay. it. Talking about the uh, talking about the ending would, would kind of. Oh. You know, I don't want to give. I don't want to give away like how how the plot plays out because I think it's uh, it's it's really smart the way uh, director Corey Finley and director and writer Corey Finley kind of makes this go. I really really like uh, Yelchin, and I also really like Paul Sparks who plays the stepfather. He's great. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I recognized him. He is in every HBO show that's ever been made. Okay. He's in uh, Boardwalk Empire. He played. You see Boardwalk Empire? I've seen no. Okay, he's uh he's also he was in more recently. He was great. He was probably the best actor outside of Michael Shannon in the Waco miniseries that was okay. on Paramount Network. That looked interesting. Yeah, it's mm. it's okay, but the uh, but he's quite good in it. He played um, Koresh as like right hand man, ah. and he's also he was like he was in uh, the Night of. The other miniseries on HBO, and you know, these are all these are all things I feel like I should see. In Boardwalk, he's like the real, the super like weaselly guy who works for uh, who works for Bushimi. He's like, oh, he talks like this, and he can run the little boy around, yeah. and you know, and he gets thrown. I, somebody throws him off of the uh, balcony at one point. <laughs> yeah, I, I bring people together. They yeah. understand that. Yeah, that yeah, guy, yeah, that guy. That's Paul yeah. Sparks. He's awesome. Yeah. So I and I brought up Sundance initially because when people say like Sundance movie, I am init- I am immediately like go well go fuck yourself. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I don't need like some sort of twee indie bullshit. Sure. Um, and this, mm. you know, this is not that. 
No, I think I cool. thought it looked okay. I, I was uh, interested in seeing it, especially since Yelchin is dead. You got to see everything now, you know. Especially okay. since he's got That's like I, I, okay. he's been I, I dead like three years, and he's still got a lot of things coming out. It's just this, I think, and then uh, that oh. other, that Italian movie that he made is oh. coming out, and that's it. Okay, I think it's the last two things. Cool. We'll go. Uh, we'll go four to five best movie of uh, twenty eighteen so far, and I, I go by I go by U.S. release date. the The competition is not fierce. That is, yeah, no <laughs> shit. <laughs> if this is your favorite movie of twenty eighteen so far, that's pretty. Uh, that's yeah, yeah. I mean, hey, hey. released in 2018. Hey, I understand. Yeah. Right, okay. So, I finally got around to watching Picnic and Hanging Rock. It's pretty good. I don't know how much more I can say about it that um, the rest of y'all have said said about it already. Um, yeah, four out of five. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, yeah, it's good. Have you started watching the show yet? No, I've I've almost started it like six times. I keep going on the app. I'm like, yeah, I could watch that right now. Eh, I'll watch something else. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it's yeah. like I get on Amazon and I'm like, maybe I'll watch that, or maybe I'll just see what silent movies are out there. Right. Because you know, TV shows are a real commitment for me. Yeah. I don't. Have I seen a movie this year yet that came out this year? <laughs> oh, Den of Thieves. That's terrible. Um, God, that was this year. It yeah. feels like so long ago. It's in uh, March, apparently. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm just really caught up on trying to figure out what the best year, movie of the year is so far, and I can't seem to find any that are any good. I don't think I've seen hardly anything. That sucks. It's we're halfway through the year. Yeah, I've yeah. seen nothing good. You gotta you gotta put yourself out there, you know, or or get yourself out there. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to see. Uh, I was going to see Hereditary yesterday, and didn't. Uh, Kind of just like, I don't know, just wasn't feeling it at the last second. I was, I was just like, I'd rather watch, rewatch. We've been rewatching, uh, don't judge me. We've been rewatching Entourage, which is just very entertaining to me. So we watch it, it's very disposable. But uh, Jeremy Piven is hysterical. Uh, <laughs> and so I was just like, I just really want to watch Entourage and eat dinner. So we just did that. And I'm going to go Tuesday and see it, though. I'm I, really I also almost went up. To Hereditary yesterday, and I don't know anything about it. I just saw it got some good reviews. And it's it was a horror movie. Really, they're really pushing that it's like the scariest movie ever yeah. made, kind of thing. Which yeah, is, they're saying I it's know. you know the new Exorcist, et cetera, et cetera. Got to the theater, I decided maybe Hotel Artemis would be a better idea. Ah, you saw that? Yeah, oh, Jesus paid money Christ. for it. I'm, I'll, Jesus t- I'll talk about it in a few minutes. Good God in heaven. Um, <laughs> okay, well, uh. You just talked about something. What was it? <laughs> hanging at Picnic oh, Rock. Oh, that's right. Hanging at Picnic Rock. Uh, okay. Well, I... I um, picnic at Hanging Rock. Yeah, we know. We're, okay. it's a, that's it's a running, it's it's a a running gag. Oh. JR. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. New, new, new guy. New Good guy sense alert. of humor. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I finally finished, uh, just kind of beasted through like the last uh, maybe eight episodes of Twin Peaks The Return mm. and uh, finished that a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know... Not to be a, uh, I'm not a fanboy here. I'm not one of these people who uh, thinks that this is like, you know, the best show ever made or whatever. It's it's very good, especially if you like Lynch. If you don't like Lynch, this is probably a nightmare to get through. But because uh, it's very um, cryptic, extremely cryptic. Have you seen this? 
Yeah. Okay. Have you yeah, seen finally, this? a TV show? I, I've seen. I have not. I've okay. been meaning to, but uh, yeah. uh, this is like uh, like if you like the original Twin Peaks, even like this is nothing like the original Twin Peaks at all. And uh, yeah, I think like you were saying like back when like months ago when we were yeah. still at the library, yeah, you yeah. were. I st- you John- I took a six month break from it. Yeah. <laughs> After episode nine or ten, I think. Right. Because like, yeah, I'm done. Yeah, because was wasn't, that it, the, uh, wasn't it like, you know, you could like watch like Firewalk with me and then this. That's what and, like, Lynch, you, and, Lynch like, said that. Yeah. Okay, right, right, right. just need right. to watch the film. So I watched okay. the film before I started watching this. And right, I, right. I stopped. Was nine the uh, the origin story? No, it's eight. Uh, I, I got, I watched eight and I was like, this is perhaps one of the greatest things I've ever seen on television. And then episode nine started, and I was like, now we're back into, like, the present. I don't even care about this anymore. Like, I, I literally was like, they fucked up. He blew his load right in the middle of the show, and you just, who gives a fuck anymore? I just want to see more of that. But then finally, like, I, you know, I, I got a lot of free time now, or more than I have had. So I was like, well, I'll watch something on TV, so I turned it on. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's very entertaining. Uh, parts of it are, are, are very entertaining. It's very good, and it's very strange, and it's, you know it's hard to follow but uh there's definitely like a coherence to it it's just there's so much of it that it's very sprawling there's like a million characters Mm. including tim roth yeah he's great jennifer jason lee and tim roth are in it oh nice uh, as a hitman couple and this just the they couldn't get amanda plummer (laughs) no it's great because they were both in uh hateful eight together so uh this show is so violent like that's the thing. I don't think I haven't heard anybody talk about how violent the show is, and like really well done violence too. Like very graphic and not like CG'd. Like good stuff. Like squib usage when when somebody dies via machine gun fire in the back of a van. It's uh, <laughs> it is quite good. Uh, I just want to point out to our listeners, he's not doing it anymore, but jo- while, oh, while yeah. Job was talking about this, he was just wringing his hands. I like He was so it. excited. I like, love it. He was like a five-year-old at Christmas time it's just waiting really, for Santa to come down the chimney. It's just killer. Like the whole scene when um, uh, the doppelganger of uh, Cooper, he goes to the, the gang's like hideout and he arm wrestles the guy. It's <laughs> fucking amazing. And he just like, oh my God, just how that all culminates is just so bloody and amazing. And I just loved it. And uh, just about the last episode, so appropriately creepy and just terrifying, the ending. I mean, like that's what I'm expecting when I go to Hereditary. When I go to see Hereditary, I'm hoping it's that level of scary. I don't. I don't know anything about Hereditary besides that people say it's good. Yeah. Stop. <laughs> Stop it. You're not going to get that. I I want that. And if it's not that, I'm going to be disappointed. <laughs> it's like, you know what's weird, too, is that it's like Lynch has such a talent for creating this atmosphere of unease. Not saying anything that anybody else hasn't said a million times, but it's just like, it's insane to me how effective some of the things that he chooses to do are well that that it's just they're so ridiculously simple just like the way that last shot happens with the lights and everything like that's not hard <laughs> like, but it's there's nothing about that that should be scary but it's terrifying it's absolutely terrifying and uh just throws you right back into the last 20 minutes of twin of uh, firewalk with me 
which is also just terrifying. And, uh, you know, the the man is just, he's a a real, he's like the only genius of horror that exists. And he doesn't even get credit because nobody thinks of him as a horror person. But it's like, that's what he's doing. Like, he's working in horror. And it's very, very scary. (sighs) Anyway. (laughs) John needs a cigarette now. (laughs) (laughs) It's very, it's good, though. You know, I highly recommend it if you're into that sort of thing. If you're not into it. If you just see it and you're like, hey, I like Kyle MacLachlan and Tim Roth and these other people who are in it. Abandoned ship. Yeah, don't watch it because yeah. it's not the show for you. And if you're also – I would also say – and I've seen a lot of people who do, who definitely are huge fans of the original Twin Peaks who like it. But I'm not a fan of the original Twin Peaks. I don't enjoy it. And uh, this is way, way different. Like way, 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 way different. I think that's what I, took I like a – That's fine. I think that's what took a lot of people aback when they were watching this go around. Because, like, I remember while it was airing, a lot of people were like, what What the fuck is happening? What the fuck is happening? And then I didn't hear anything else about it. Sure. So, But, like, I'm... Like, we talked about a while back. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, people watch Twin Peaks for the kitsch factor. Well, not, a lot, not because, a lot of it, yeah. Yeah, not because they genuinely enjoyed it as a show. And, I mean, I, I, just, the, I just feel like there's a lot more humor built into the original show yeah and it's like a lot goofier well i mean you know it was this doesn't have a lot of that abc nbc and it was abc yeah it was basically a soap opera Mm -hmm. yeah you know just by david lynch with you know with mark frost mystical elements yeah built Mm -hmm. in yeah Mm -hmm. and because of you know the whole like murder mystery thing with laura palmer you know that got a lot of people in so they would kind of accept the weirdness at the time but like net like people our age like yeah i'm sure there are some who like genuinely like it for what it is but i think a lot of people are just watching it post ironically i think it was a thing with this uh new series also it's kind of like everyone had well if if you were into the new series you kind of had a point at which you were just like accepted that okay i'm not getting the cooper i remember i just mm-hmm. have to like get on this wavelength and it, I think it took me four or five episodes, which I, I rewatched after, like, I was like, okay, so David Lynch is not going to give me my old idea of Twin Peaks. I think that's the whole show. I mean, that's what the sh- it feels like Lynch is just like, well, one, I've, I, I've, I listened to another podcast where the, the, one of the people on it, one of the hosts said that, uh, said something really interesting that he, he said that it felt like Lynch was essentially commenting on modern television like episodic television and saying that like you know television is all about plot we're not going to give you plot like television is about getting to the next thing as soon as possible we're going to take all our time like we're going to watch things happen that aren't important at all like uh and there's a lot of that in the show there's like there's a scene where there's a phone ringing at a bar and you literally just like watch this guy sweeping the floor for like three and a half minutes while you're waiting for somebody to answer this fucking phone and finally somebody does and then we get a little bit of plot and then there's like a scene when uh, Miguel Ferrer asks uh, David Lynch to send this woman out of the room. And David Lynch says, would you wait for me down at the bar? And it's literally like four and a half minutes of watching her get ready. Like she's got to put her lipstick on. She's got to put her makeup on. She's got to check herself. And it's just like it's maddening. But it's also, you know, it's interesting, you know. But I've, and I, and I think that that's a really like that's, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if that was part of it for sure. And by the way, I like old Twin Peaks. But I loved mm-hmm. New Twin Peaks. Mm-hmm. Like, 
I think it's just the. I was, I was very into this. It just feels like the un the unbridled Lynch, whereas yeah. like Lynch working on network television obviously has a lot of uh, censorship issues. Yeah. And on Showtime, he can do whatever the fuck he wants, and you could yeah. really tell he did. He did whatever he the did. fuck he wanted. Yeah, he sure did. And he said, I, I read that he's uh, open to the idea of a, of another season. So that's that's fun. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see. Um, although, no, I'd say you could keep going. Uh, anyway, yeah. So again, TV show. Not going to rate it. Not. It's uh, also <laughs> want to be really clear here. Not this is a, not a, a fucking film, film okay? Even so, <laughs> but he said it's like an 18-hour movie. I don't give a fuck what he says. I, I, I'd have less of a problem with somebody logging episode 8 as a film or episode 19, or episode 18 as a film than saying this whole thing is a film. Like the fucking Cahiers du Cinema and the other people who have who yeah, li- like listed like as that. like the number one best film of last year. This is not a fucking movie. This is not a movie. <laughs> well, it's, you know, it's just like a, it's like a little bit of mental gymnastics to justify something they love exactly yeah we have right. to we have to talk about this and we're a film magazine yeah so what else are we going to do we have to call it a film like <laughs> you know i mean there's i would imagine just specifically cahiro du cinema i could just i can imagine the french conversations about how tv is not legitimate and mm-hmm. you know just all that shit with netflix and can oh, yeah. like it oh, doesn't yeah. If it's not in a theater, it's not a film, and it's, but they. Love, I didn't even think about that. They they love yeah, Twin the fact Peaks, that the fact so. that Can said no more Netflix, and yet their favorite movie of last year is a TV show. Well, well Kahir and Can are, are two different bodies. No, they're but. the same fucking people. I, <laughs> I, if you're French, you're French. I, <laughs> there's a there's a, no, but I mean there is like a definitely like a European thought process, mainland Europe thought process about cinema, and I feel like most people uh, follow it. You know what I mean? Who are over there? So like yeah, if Can is saying that. A lot of those people are probably uh, like-minded with the publication Kaiju Cinema, but you know, I fuck them all. But it's the best. It's the best eighteen-hour movie of twenty seventeen. Yeah. It's like it's like saying, um, you know, you could you could come back at that and say, well, what about you know, uh, fucking berlin alexander platz or something or some other mm-hmm. like uh or fanny alexander these things that showed on television or made for for german and swedish television but they're also cut into films and they're also shown in theaters like that's different they're films they're made to be films the fact they got the money from television doesn't make them less of a film like this money's coming from showtime a a television network that aired it on television and never in the theater as far as i know Who somebody sit- somewhere is gonna do that I'm I'm waiting yeah. for you know what I'm waiting for they somebody will. to cut this thing down into like a two and a half hour movie. Oh yeah, I can't believe that hasn't happened yet because they did it for Breaking Bad. They cut the whole huh. show down into like like. Are we sure it hasn't happened? Well, I mean, some like nobody might have done it or something. I'm waiting for it to be like a, a news story. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Someone some someone pointed out to me a uh, 46 minute cut of the Last Jedi. Nice called ah. the uh, the chauvinist cut where they cut out all oh, of they the, cut the, uh, the the Asian lady that they hate. Yeah, and yeah. they like just had Princess Leia die when they said she should have died, and they cut out most people of color. Oh Jesus! Um, wow. And you know the forum I was looking at, uh, guys were really into it because the people that talk about Star Wars are the worst fucking people. Mm-hmm. The worst people. They forced that poor girl off of uh, whatever it was it Snapchat or Instagram or something. It was a yeah. big news story. Like they are being racist and telling her she oh, yeah, sucked yeah. and ruined the franchise and everything. Well, you know the thing about Jake Lloyd, right? That he's 
isn't he like an accountant now or something? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if he's an accountant, but well, like people blamed him for sure, Phantom Menace. Sure. And it like fucking wrecked his life. Yeah. Like now, like I think I'm pretty sure he's like all jacked. And so like if you try to talk about Phantom Menace, he'll punch you, you in the face. Yeah. But but yeah, like people like gave him so much shit for Phantom Menace. And it's like he's fucking eleven years old. Like, are you really like that kind of horrible piece of shit to berate an eleven year old because he just wanted to have some fun in a movie? It's George Lucas's fault for casting him. Well And George Lucas's fault for writing those shitty movies. That's true, yeah. The lightsaber battle at the end is still pretty good. Sure. Yeah. John Williams' uh, duel, fate, duel of the duel fates. Of the fates yeah. It's an amazing piece of music. But yeah. anyway, that's Fuck that. Star Wars. <laughs> <laughs> is it JR? my turn? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. I said I would do it, so I uh, went and did it. I went and saw Hotel Artemis. Jesus Christ. Written and directed by Drew Pierce. Um. <laughs> you know, I, I feel like I. It's like either I say John is right or I like go into this whole thing about how it's not bad and John's just like, no, shut up. Now, you're, you, if, you, if you went into the whole thing about how it's not bad, that would be mental gymnastics. Come on. Oh, uh, well, I'm going to do that now. No, come on. Go ahead. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I mean, I, I have a pretty healthy appreciation for, um, you know, I guess like this would be like trash cinema. Like... Be movies that have uh, modest ambitions, you know. Mm-hmm. They they aren't trying to do a whole lot, and they they pull it off like with you know decent execution. What other movies and are we talking about here? The Warriors, or uh, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. So you think of B movies, Slayer like, of the White Worm? <laughs> that's uh, yeah. Actually, that would well, work for me because I mean okay. I, I think I liked that a little bit more than you guys did. Um, but so <laughs> this is just like. Or John Wick. Um, ah, right, right. I, I really like John Wick 2. Uh, <laughs> and, and by really like it, I mean, like, I, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed it. I, it's, you not, know, it's not as good as an Ernst Lubitsch film. No. No, it's not. <laughs> but the thing about John Wick 2 is that I would argue against what you just said about what you like about these films, that they they aim low. John Wick 2 has way too much ambition because it's trying to build this alternate reality and expand it from the original, which was already pretty ludicrous. But like in the second one, it's not just the the, uh, hotel that they stay in or whatever. It's also the entire fucking city is a a, economy of hitmen. And I I think, and I don't really... I don't care very much about like the mythology there. Yeah. So you're right. I'm like picking and choosing mm-hmm. what's modest about it. But I like that there are uh, parts of it that are ent- entertaining that aren't just the gunfights. Mm-hmm. And in John Wick, I just like the gunfights are the only thing that are like, I, I'd rather just watch like a YouTube, like a reel of those gunfights than actually watch that movie. For sure. It's, it's, that's the first I've watched. Well, see, I feel the exact same way about John Wick too. I just, watch it on youtube i watch the scenes where he kills people with guns and and pencils and things and then the rest of it and i specifically skip the common fight in the subway because it's drives me insane that he stabs him in the heart and he doesn't die it's the stupidest fucking thing i've ever heard of Uh, and uh and then i just you know skip the rest of the movie so um 
good things about this movie, Hotel Artemis. Like, there's just, like, the barest minimum setup of this, like, 10 years in the future sort of dystopian situation. And there is a hospital run at the top of an abandoned hotel. Um, and you find out, like, this hospital is, is funded by, like, the biggest uh, crime lord in the area. All right? That's all fine. Um, Jodie Foster is silly. Uh, Charlie Day and Zachary Quinto are going over the top with their characters. But Sterling K. Brown, who uh, is kind of our, our window into this hospital thing, he's like really good. I don't I don't know Sterling K. Brown from anything, but like he brings a can can I sound like an asshole for a minute? Sure. He brings like a very quiet dignity to uh <laughs> to, to his role. <laughs> yeah. And and then uh Sophie Butella, who's another assassin who's stuck in here. Mm. Um I would I would like to see her in more movies where she just gets to kick ass cuz I, you know, she's like she was useless in Fahrenheit 451. Uh th- she's in The Mummy as The Mummy, but She's just like a CGI force of power. With She's great in Atomic Blonde. Yeah? Okay. I, I haven't seen that Oh, yet. you haven't seen that? I would like to see Atomic Blonde. <laughs> She's great in one scene specifically in Atomic Blonde, are you if you know about, what I mean. talking about the love scene? <laughs> yeah. I think your your eyes are talking about the love scene. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. But, uh, she, you know, Did you see Star Trek Beyond? Yes. She, yeah, she was the black and white alien oh. uh, that they followed through most Didn't of Didn't even know that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, she kicks ass in this movie. And, uh, you know, this has a, uh, it's like a got a coherent visual palette, a lot of like, uh, dull colors, flickering lights. There's like a pretty good Cliff Martinez score. Mm. Um, and, uh, they never try to overburden the plot with like too much, too many like twists, too much plot. It's just like, we're all in this hotel and in this hotel, we're not allowed to fight, and so they actually kind of rely on some banter to keep it interesting until shit goes down. Ah. Um, and yeah, this is not a great movie. It's not a good movie. It's a, it's a, it's an amusing and fun movie. And yeah, there's there's some good she ass kicking. She's in uh, the, it's Kingsman: The Secret Service. She kicks a lot of ass in that. She's like the Blade Runner, right? Isn't she in that? Did you see that movie? I haven't seen a Kingsman uh, movie. It's been. I think she's the one with like the, uh, the amputee and she's got like blade legs. Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. So I'm sure she kills people on that. If you want to. Maybe I should go see Kingsman. Yeah, that sounds like right up your alley with the whole uh, <laughs> B movie uh, silliness. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a, yeah, I'm not going to recommend you go see this. I but won't. It's fun. I'd rather be dead. Three three point two five. <laughs> Third best movie of 2018. <laughs> wow. <laughs> oh, my. Which means I put it ahead of Black Panther and Avengers. That's fine. Which I'm sure yeah. it is better than those. No offense, Kevin. Yeah, sorry, sorry, Kevin. No, no, I'm not sorry. I like this movie better. That's <laughs> you'll, you'll get over it. Not sure I'll care... Enough in the first place to no, yeah. have anything to get over, <laughs> and you certainly won't. You certainly won't care enough to go see Hotel Artemis. I don't yeah, think. I mean. By the way, this is a Saturday. Yeah, Saturday right now. Yep. Uh, Hotel Artemis came out yesterday. <gasps> According to Box Office Mojo, it made one point one million on Friday. So, <laughs> and you were a part of that. That is not, brutal. Not a success story we're looking at here. Probably gonna miss the sequel on that one. Right. <laughs> 
Kevin? So, I watched The Witch. Directed Fuck, by man. Robert Eggers? Yes. <laughs> When's he going to make another movie? Because this He's was fucking great. It. He's working on oh, it. Oh, good. Yeah. Like, I forget, love... like what the, it is. Let me is, look it is up. Is Anya Taylor-Joy in the new movie? I, maybe. I hope so. Although, I'm wondering, like... I don't think we got to see, like, her, like... Un, like, like, perfect doesn't even begin to describe that woman's ass when she's walking... <laughs> When she's walking, like, at the end of the movie, when she's walking through the woods and she's naked, what, like... her? Is it her or is it a body double? It's not a body double they CG'd her ass on. Thank God for good CG. They, CG, uh, they CG'd all the nudity of the uh, main characters because of... Uh, right, the little right, boy, right. obviously, is underage. Yeah, yeah. So they... Apparently, he was wearing... Uh, I, I listened to the commentary. I'm just the only reason I know these things, but... Um, okay. He was wearing... Uh, they were both wearing underwear, but they CG'd away the underwear. Okay. But yeah, this really fucking creepy, really well acted. It looks great. The score is really fucking creepy. Like everything about this great score. Everything about this movie comes in to make five out of five easy, mm. easy. Hot damn! What'd you give this? Four and a half. Oh, brutal! You suck. What? In, <laughs> <laughs> what brought it down half a star? Great question. Uh, and I don't know. You guys know. You guys know. I don't know. All right. I mean, I. It's okay. We're, he's, right. he's just. I, I just. I. I give. I give out so few fives. Right. 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 And this just didn't. When I was sitting there in the theater, it just didn't feel like a five. Okay. That's fine. Even though I loved almost everything about it. Sure. Yeah. I really yeah. liked the. Um, well, I mean, I like the dialogue in general was great, and yeah. I really, really liked the man who played the father. Yeah, it was funny because like the, the very first thing I ever saw him in was the British version of The Office. Oh, yeah, and then this I saw is... him in Game of Thrones. Oh. So Game of Thrones to this isn't a huge leap. And uh, what's her face? Um, she the the mother. She was also in Game of Thrones. Also breastfeeding, but in Game of Thrones it was to a <laughs> ten year old. What? Re. Religious fervor scares the shit out of me. Yes. Uh, speaking of the witch, not, yeah. not necessarily Game of Thrones. Oh, okay. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, Eggers has two films that are coming out. One is called The Lighthouse. The story of an aging lighthouse keeper named Old, who lives in the early 20th century Maine, played by Willem Dafoe. And Robert Pattinson is also in it. So that's exciting. And then he's also got another movie that's not on his IMDb page, but is on IMDb, which is very strange, huh. called The Night, which is an action fantasy movie. It doesn't say anything else about it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully he'll be uh, back with something as engaging and interesting and unusual as The Witch. Yeah. Uh, I watched Suspiria. So I had, I've uh, watched the trailer for the new Suspiria and uh, immediately was like, you know, I'm not going to watch this movie until I've seen the original Suspiria. Never seen the original Suspiria. Got to go illegally download it immediately. So I did and uh, watched it. It's directed by Dario Argento. It's from 1977, I think. Um, an amazing score by Goblin. <laughs> really good score. Is it 77? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, I feel like the score was really, really uh, pretty heavily influenced by Tubular Bells from The Exorcist. 
you know, it's got a lot of the same kind of like yeah. the bell note thing, like the almost like a xylophone or something. But um, just really, really good music. And uh, that's about the most I could say for it. I uh, <laughs> I was not a fan of this movie at all. Um, it was like really poorly made. And I mean, maybe that's like poorly not made. Yeah, <laughs> it was poorly made. And I'm not a Jalo head. I haven't seen any Jalo films except this. If this is even this is considered yeah. a Jalo film, yeah. Uh, I haven't seen anything else by Argento or Mario Bava or Lucio Fulci or whoever the fuck else. But I, uh, I'm interested in especially some Bava films like Black Sunday and things like that. I'd like to see those eventually. Um, but this just. I, man, I don't. I'm just not into it. I don't know. It's it's so like I feel like you could. This thing was like an hour and forty minutes. You could edit this down to like a forty five minute movie. Like there's so much time where they're just you're just hanging around. <laughs> like nothing's happening. There's one scene in particular where uh, the main character is this American ballet dancer who never does ballet in the movie uh <laughs> is uh hope they remedy that with dakota johnson um she uh she goes to this ballet academy in germany for some reason and uh to to be a ballet dancer and she meets this girl and they become friends and they're like talking and i don't know if you remember this they go to the pool and they start like swimming around in the pool and talking about what's like the weird stuff that's going on and it's like there's like a literally it just cuts to the shot from above them which i get it it's supposed to be like this ominous like somebody's watching them and then it's like literally like four minutes of this shot from above and you can't hear them talking anymore it's just them them like treading water for like four minutes and i'm just like i (laughs) what is with the editor man like what you fall asleep or something (laughs) It's a lot of shit like that. I just can't get into, and uh, the whole—I don't know—like the some of the plot points are really weird and like fishy and just uninteresting in a just kind of like a lazy way. And I realize that these kinds of uh, uh, critiques aren't the thing that like these aren't the things that people watch these movies for. They watch these movies for the blue and red lights, right? <laughs> this, is, this is what you watch a Jalo film for the the the, the bright lights. And the orange blood. And it's just not my thing. I'm not into it. Yeah. I think it looks terrible. I, I like, I really like uh, some of the lighting, like whenever they, uh, like whenever they're all, they have to sleep in like the big room and they have the curtains and there's like red light behind the curtains. That shit looks good. I'm into that. But some of it, it's just, some of it's just like, it made no sense. Like you could at least try to integrate it into the world a little bit. They'd just be like, they're like, they open a door and it's like the whole room and the other side of the door is like orange. And it's like, why like why is it orange nobody says anything about it they just walk into this orange room and they're like okay <laughs> see you later this is i don't understand what it's supposed to mean like i would get it if it was like like cries and whispers everything's painted red and it's supposed to be like this you know it, it's thematic for the story and mm-hmm. they like but it's like there's it doesn't seem like this is going it's just like a, an aesthetic choice that people latched onto and said that's really cool i like that and I, it doesn't go beyond that i definitely think this movie is a lot of Argento just throwing visual ideas at a wall mm-hmm. and just seeing what works. Like, like, like the vampire bat. Yeah. Why is that, that in was, this movie? It was a nightmare. That, I was just this like, isn't a vampire. It's not a vampire movie. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when she killed it. Yeah. Really cool when she killed it. Cause like she smashes it underneath a, a towel and there's like blood that like seeps through the towel. Really cool. But the, the bat itself looked like shit. I mean, 
you know, and I mean, that's not, uh, you know, I realize that's not fair because it's the 70s and they don't know what this is low budget or whatever. But it's just like <laughs> it just if it looks that terrible, just don't do it, you know. And I agree. It's like it's incorrect thematically. Like it doesn't have anything to do with what's going on in the movie. They're, yeah, yeah, I don't. How uh, how badly does dubbing annoy you? Dubbing doesn't bother me in shit like this. Like Italian films, I just expect it to be dubbed because they all that's they all yeah. are like yeah, yeah. Okay. it bothers me the only time it bothers me is when americans are dubbed or english-speaking actors are dubbed like uh in um red desert when they dub richard harris but they just don't film with microphones so they have i to know dub. i understand but it still bothers me yeah I get because that. with the rest of them i can say to myself well they're not speaking english so they have to be dubbed but <laughs> which is how i kind of <laughs> get around it you know but uh even though they're speaking Italian still in the movies usually, but it doesn't matter. The point is that, uh, yeah, I just don't, I don't quite understand why they're not filming with microphones, but it's fine. It's what it's they just, do. Yeah. It's the way that system evolved. I don't, yeah, mm. I don't really get it. I really, I'll tell you when I, what, the time that bothered me the most, uh, was El Mariachi. Oh, <laughs> that bothers me the most, the dubbing in that movie. And I don't remember why, because it's been not a long time since movie. I've seen it. Yeah. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but so not the Rodriguez movie. No, the Rodriguez movie. Right. Yeah, they dub it. He says it's not an Italian movie. Oh, it's not. It's a Spanish not, movie. Yeah, right, it's right, a Mexican, right. Mexican movie. Right, right. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it just that really that rubbed me the wrong way. But I was very young when I saw it, so who mm. knows. I just um, – the dubbing doesn't bother me in Suspiria as much as just – it's just not very interesting. It's kind of boring. And, mm. uh, the like, the ending – I was expecting something really intense at the end and to be like, well, hey, that jumped it up a star or two. But it's just – Completely like that. Just how they lay out all the mythology in one scene, ten minutes from the ending. It's like, here's what's happening. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) This um, you know, Udo Kier is in it. He's Uh, dubbed with an American actor. That was strange. (laughs) That's bizarre. I I can't mount a defense for this movie. Um, I remember really liking just the mood of Mm -hmm. the film, and I remember really enjoying just like the visual weirdness going on. But as far as like Argento movies goes, this has maybe the worst plot. He's not, he's not great at plot. Like, you know, you'll get a little bit better plot at a deep red, but I don't think you're going to get a, you're not getting a better movie. Yeah. Um, I think I watched a, on the, on the other hand, a Lucio Fulci Giallo. And that's, that had like maybe the best Giallo plot I'd ever seen. I, what, and I, don't, I don't know if it was the best Jello movie I'd ever seen, but <laughs> the the plot was more interesting and they kind of stuck with it more than these these guys tend to. Mm-hmm. Because this whole genre seems to be about cool visual ideas and cool murders. And uh, I liked, I'll say that the, the initial stabbing was incredible because I liked the fact that the, the person didn't die. Like they just kept stabbing him. They mm-hmm. were still alive screaming. It was, that was amazing. I was like, I could, I could deal with this for an hour and a half, but there's literally like that never happens again. So it's like, what? And honestly, like, I understand why that person was killed, but I still don't understand who killed them. Even after watching, like, I don't understand who that was <laughs> because when they show the hand come through the glass at the beginning, it's like the hands like hairy, like a werewolf almost, and he has like claws. <laughs> and I'm like, who the fuck is that? Like, what? I, I was thinking like later on, like. I'm like, okay, they killed that person because they knew too much, right? And they got away. But it's like, who killed them? I don't understand who that was. Mm. It was like just 
maybe delving into another genre. Let's just throw a werewolf in here. You know? yeah. I don't know. I gave already it. A, got, I gave it a got two. Vampires. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. Two out of five. Um, I'm out. Me too. Uh, I've been watching Toast of London on Netflix. First time I've been watching something on Netflix for like a year. What is Toast of London? Uh, it stars Matt Berry as a stage actor who's dealing with a lot of random stuff from his agent and people that he hates. And it's British. So you love it. Naturally. Right. I actually really do like it. It's very, very funny. I can only imagine the uh, love fest we're going to have on this deep dive. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gilliam wasn't born in England, even though he's a British citizen. All of the uh, shit in this movie is very British. Uh, All right. Well, well, uh, let's (laughs) move on then to the deep dive, which is Kevin's pick, Brazil from 1985, directed by Terry Gilliam, starring Jonathan Price and Robert De Niro and uh, Kim Greist. Greist? Greist? I'm not not sure. Uh, Kevin, you want to tell us about Brazil and maybe why you chose it? Sure. So, let's see. Somewhere in the 21st century, this guy kills a beetle. It falls into a computer bank, and the typo that emerges on the paperwork gets this man killed, and then his neighbor, played by Kim Greist, and this low-level civil servant played by Jonathan Price are trying to figure out what went wrong and hilarity ensues. And this was another movie that I've watched many, 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 many times and, you know, just got the Criterion Blu-ray. So I was like, I need to watch this again, so why not have it on the podcast? And... First and foremost, I have to say that there the scene with Sam Lowry and uh, Harvey Lime, where he's like, "Hey, uh, why don't you let me use your computer?" It's like, "What well, you mean use my computer?" And you know, why don't you let me do it? I'm a bit of a whiz on that thing. He and he sits down in front of the computer. He starts typing. Sod it! It's broken. And then. Sam says, you haven't switched it on. Right. And so he turns on the computer. Uh, you guys cannot understand how much I relate to that. You literally cannot understand. Like, there are people... There are people out there... God bless their innocent little hearts. They are just so... They have no idea what technology is around them. Hmm. And it's not like this stuff has just emerged out of thin air. <laughs> this kind of technology has been around for at least 10, 15 years. Now, I get it. It's just now starting to become a bigger part of a lot of people's lives. But there are people who can't use a mouse. They can, they can you know, they can log into their email on their phones, but then they forget their passwords because they don't, they don't think about it again. There are people who will log into their bank account on the public computers and just leave it there. Awesome. For anyone to see. You just get so quick pay to your account? <laughs> <laughs> no, cuz you can't you can't do that cuz then they would they would find out. Right. But yeah, just like ugh. It just it just speaks to me on such a visceral deep level. 
so you uh, relate to the themes of uh, whatever bureaucratic um, yes paperwork <laughs> and uh, over yeah very very much so in that one scene but yes the the bureaucracy and and I also think like I think it's very very prescient of Terry Gilliam to like so like you know. Like, the working title for this movie at one point was 1984 and a half. Mm-hmm. So, you have this kind of big brother thing kind of going on with the Ministry of Information, information retrieval, and all that kind of stuff. But then when you really get right down to it, people are very, very inept and bad at their jobs. And so, yeah, things are still going horribly wrong for people, but it's not for the reasons that you think. And I think we see that so much more today, especially with Twitter. You know, like people will, you know, politicians high up, you know, you know, obviously the president for one can just say the stupidest things. And, you know, this is the world we live in. No oversight. Hmm? There's no oversight. Yeah. But in this in this world, there seems to be uh, too much too much oversight. Yeah, too much oversight. It, uh, you know, <laughs> the twenty seven B stroke six. Right. And uh, it reminds me of uh, there's a lot of jokes on 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 the television show Mash that get into that kind of thing, like how you know I can't I can't get the right kind of food that I want because I have to have the right requisition form. It has to be signed by this person and this person. Yeah. And, you know. And I heard uh, Terry Gilliam said that. His original idea for the opening of Brazil, that beetle who gets smashed, it was supposed to follow him from the Amazon rainforest. Like, the rainforest is being cut down, it's turned into paper, turned into a pamphlet, and then it ends up in that office, and then it smashes him. And then the guy's supposed to open up the pamphlet, and it's going to be how to save the rainforest. (laughs) Which, apparently he didn't have the budget for, but that would have been brilliant. That's too bad. Yeah. I noticed that there's a there is exactly one person good at navigating this bureaucracy in this movie, and it's Sam Lowry. He's like the only one who seems competent at his job until he decides he doesn't want to be a part of the system anymore. Yeah, fucks himself and other people for yeah. sure. Just thought that was interesting, but well done. Uh, <laughs> no, no, I, uh, well, I was gonna I, I'll just say real quick. Uh, about the hilarity that ensues, uh, I don't. I, I guess this movie's a comedy. I don't find this movie funny well, at you all. You know that m- me saying hilarity ensues yeah. ne- doesn't necessarily mean comedy. Okay, what does hilarity mean if not comedy? It's a joke. Oh, as in like it's not hilarity yeah. ensuing. Okay, yeah. well, I mean, I there's a lot they're... of funny things in this movie, but yeah, I wouldn't. Like a lot of Gilliam stuff, like, yeah, he's a member of Monty Python, and, mm-hmm. you know, they were a comedic troupe. But a lot of his stuff is not really, you know, comedic, I guess, I guess I would say that, I mean, yeah, I agree, but, like, 12 Monkeys is not trying to be comedic. And this, I feel like this is, and it's just not very funny. To me. That's just, like, where I, like, I, like, some of the, like, um, Ian Holm in it. Like, uh, his whole kind of, like, uh, you know... Oh God, I'm in trouble, and what are we gonna do? And then Sam Lowry fixes it, and oh, thank God! Uh, you know, it's like I get that, I understand why that's supposed to be funny. It's just not terribly funny to me. Like I, sh- I don't know, it just doesn't strike me as it doesn't make me laugh. Like I, I don't think I laughed at all in this movie. But I mean, that's you know, I don't also don't, I don't think it's where its strength is. Is all. 
Well, yeah, I mean, I think the strength of the movie is the uh, world building of the film. Uh, like Gilliam and whoever the production designer is, uh, this it feels like a very real place, a very lived in, like actual, like his apartment seems real. The place where he works seems like a real place. Mm. All of like the the uh, the place where he goes to visit the doctor guy, like all everything seems very very real and legitimate, and like it could exist, and it all looks great. And I was going to say also that it's like, I don't know where the whole retro futurist thing started with like, you know, 40s, but in the future. Mm. But like, this seems to be the quintessential example of it. And it's so ridiculously influential. There's so many movies that look exactly like this or are attempting to look exactly like this. Yeah. And uh, just like the, we watched the double recently that comes to mind. Like it's just. Oh, for sure. Yeah an obvious aping of this style and uh it's incredible how how influential this movie seems to be yeah i really liked that he like in the first scene he kind of establishes that this is like a dystopian world just with the use of like piping and mm-hmm. yeah air conditioning ducts yeah. like the way they kind of s- spiral or wind through the the apartments is yeah <laughs> it's very very effective absolutely yeah you get the feeling that they made things, that they put all that in. Like the fact that when you remove the panel, there's like nine million wires and tubes and shit. And you, they, you get yeah. the feeling that they've overcomplicated things in order to necessitate people having jobs. You know what I mean? Like that. The reason there is central services is because things are too complicated for you to fix by yourself now. Yeah. Which may, which means you have to call central services. Yep. You know. So, did you like the first half hour more than you like the rest of the movie? Um, Just, no, I wouldn't say that. I, I would say, I would say, uh, overall, oh, well, I mean, I'll, I mean, I don't want to come off wrong. I love this movie. I think it's fantastic, but I, I, uh, I just don't think it works as, as comedically at all. I yeah. think that's its biggest weakness is that it's trying to be funny sometimes. And I just don't think it's very funny, but I think it's, uh, the second, the only, the only other real critique I have it over like thing that I didn't like about it maybe would be that it's just a little bit long. So I know it's not that I dislike the rest of the movie after the first 30 minutes or that. I just think you could cut a lot of it down. And I, I almost, I'd almost like to, I think I've only seen this director's cut. I'd almost like to go back and rewatch like the, whatever the 90 minute studio version, you know? Yeah. Is. The love conquers all version. Yeah, I'd almost like to see yeah. that. And there was another version that I like, I first saw this movie from like a pretty sure it was a VHS tape at Blockbuster mm. and it was pretty much this director's cut, but there were a couple of little differences like, and uh, the screenwriter, what's his name? Uh, Jim Simpson. I don't know. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> uh, I what what were you going to say, JR? Uh, I was going to say, I, I really like in the first you know half hour, 35 minutes, there is so little devoted to hmm. setting up the plot. Right. There's a lot of world building. A lot of character building, absolutely, and just like some funky imagery, and I, I just like adore those first thirty five. I mean, minutes. I think that that works in its favor because by the time you get to the plot, it's like now I understand yeah. this world. I yes. can go along with the characters because I understand exactly who they are and what's going on. And it's like if they had started with the, uh, you know, the whole, uh, if they had started with 
like following Kim Grease, for instance, and just mm. like, you know, the whole they kidnapped the guy from his apartment and they just followed her through the bureaucracy mm. of it. It would definitely be less interesting because I'd be like, yes. what the fuck is happening? Like, who is yeah. this person? Well, Why does she care? I don't know what's, you know, I mean, yeah. that, you know, this uh, that kind of stuff reminded me of Orson Welles, The Trial, mm. which does just follow a guy, you know, like it kind of just <laughs> it, it starts with him getting a letter or whatever, and he just has to go fix it by going through this crazy ass bureaucracy building and you don't get any sense of the world and they do build the world that way. Um, but it, it probably helps that Orson Welles is just a master of what he's doing. And that Anthony Perkins makes for a really good center of that movie. Mm. And I don't know if Kim greased would, she would make not. a good center. Probably. Okay. Not. I don't know anything about her, but oh, yeah. I, do, I agree with you that, um, this feels a little long mm. and, I would be okay if they cut 10 to 15 minutes out, but I definitely would not want him to cut 10 to 15 minutes out of the beginning. No. Uh, right. There's there's some stuff closer to the middle where I, I think it drags. and we could, I agree. We could kind of cut the it out. The beginning and the ending are, I'd say, like extremely tight. Like you, like you I don't think they waste any time in those moments, but yeah, there's, there's moments in the middle, uh, certain plot elements even, I think you just lose entirely maybe, but it's, yeah. uh, you know. Yeah. Like, and I've, I read somewhere... Um, some letterbox reviewer talked about this, like cutting out like the uh, making it. So Kim Reese is, is dead. Doesn't exist anymore. Kind of just delays them fucking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> like we maybe didn't need that. I was like, okay, sure. I guess I would also say like, it's weird. It is weird that their relationship is strange. Like how she falls for him seems just kind of like, you know, it's necessary for the plot. So it happens. It doesn't seem like there's any reason for it to happen. Like she's not motivated to love this person at all or no. to fuck him at all. It's just, yeah. hap- and he's not like, he's not, uh, he is neither attractive objectively or made to be attractive in the film. So like, I don't understand what yeah. she's getting out of it at all. And yeah, she like, kind of meets him at, <laughs> he meets him at his worst time. Yeah. yeah. Like he should have been much more attractive when he was like good at his job and confident. <laughs> yeah. She meets him in a weird fucking moment. Yeah. Yeah. And especially, like, Sam Lowry is very much an anti-hero. Like, I don't know. Like, it took me a while to actually notice, and I actually didn't even notice until I, like, heard Gilliam's commentary. But there's that scene right after um, he's, like, looked her up in the computer, and he realizes he can't do anything because he didn't accept the promotion to information retrieval. They're sitting in that like elevator subway thing, and like it's all dudes sitting sitting down. And there's this one pregnant lady with one leg who's standing. Oh, I never noticed. <laughs> and uh, and like the the whole thing when like this woman like he goes to see the uh, Mrs. Buttle, and she's just you know literally falling apart in front of him because her husband she knows her husband's dead and she'll never mm-hmm. see find out what happened to him. And he's like. This isn't being very helpful. I didn't have to come here, Mrs. Buttle. You know, <laughs> like he's really he's, you know, he's an asshole. Yeah, he's, pretty much. Yeah, he's definitely an active participant in this shitty. Very system. much, right. very much. He doesn't seem against it at all. No, at the beginning. Yeah. It's uh, yeah, which is which is an interesting way to get into it. Like to to follow someone who's not uh. It'd be easy to follow someone who's like a rebel, you know, yeah, but yeah. to follow someone who's actually like engaged in it and is thriving from it or not thriving, but living in it and uh, sustaining from it is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I really, really like Robert De Niro in the movie. Oh, yes. I wish he was in it a lot more, <laughs> but I understand 
I understand that uh, actually I read that he and Gilliam didn't really get along and that he was he was method so he was mad and it said it said that he was taking too much time researching I was like what are you researching for this role like <laughs> yeah like you're playing like a made-up character in a dystopian future like I don't understand what you're what is the research did he have to like he probably learned how to repair air conditioning ducts and shit like that you know what I mean probably like, yeah but I really dug his whole uh just the way he carried himself in the mustache is yeah, amazing like, and uh, just uh just reading the trivia for this it doesn't sound like uh doesn't sound like Gilliam got along with a lot of people. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Like he didn't like Greased. Can, he didn't like Kim. <laughs> he didn't like Kim. Yeah. Greased is fine. We'll just call okay. it. We'll agree it's Greased. Yeah. Apparently he wanted uh, Ellen Barkin, according to IMDb. Hey, I would have rather Ellen Barkin. She's great. Every, I'm sure everyone would have. Yeah. <laughs> Acting wise, probably, but. I had a real huge crush on Kim Greist when I first saw her in this movie. I think Ellen Barkin is better looking than Kim Greist. Okay. I think Ellen Barkin now might be better looking than Kim Greist was then. <laughs> I'm just, I'm Fuck you. Get out of my house. Sorry, bud. <laughs> Ellen Barkin's a beautiful lady. Uh, but yeah, I and uh, well, speaking to the um, 1984 comparison, which I mean is obvious, you know, it's obvious, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the, uh, I feel like it's like 1984 light. Like it's, 1984 is a very like serious dreary affair you know? yeah yeah or, i mean i've never read the book the film is anyway and uh yeah and With, so uh, john hurt yeah 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 and so uh this is like you know very kind of goofy and silly and seems non-threatening like the things that are happening don't seem that serious until you get to the last you know whatever 15 20 minutes of the film when, yeah, when yeah. it does get very very dark very quickly which is strange because at the beginning we do have like the bomb at the restaurant where you know, people like have mm-hmm. you know parts of their faces like blown off, sure. and yeah, yeah, yeah. presumably some people die there. It's all played um, very lightheartedly. Yes, though. yeah, it's, yeah. Like it, it's played. Like, just, they kidnap the guy out of his house, and it's played like a comedy sketch. Like it's not supposed. Like it doesn't seem like it's supposed to be scary at all. It's like this is kind of funny. Like the way that they they the way that they cut a hole in the ceiling and have like a fireman's pole come down. Like it's just it's ludicrous, you know. And you know, well, I think it's, like it's like routine. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think like that's kind of the thing with like it being like you know. Like, like in 1984, like, you know, all the people who are like, you know, the inner party, they're like very good at their jobs. Like you really do have to watch out for, you know, whatever you're doing at any given time. But I think like, you know, like a lot of people, you know, you know, just average people will think about the quote unquote government as, you know, this sort of looming body that they don't really have any association with until, you know, once a year when they have to fork over some money or maybe get some money back, hopefully. Mm -hmm. So like, unless you like actually know someone who like works in a government office and then like when you go in there, you know, they're just regular people. So I think that's a lot of what this movie is trying to get at. Like it's you know, this whole thing seems like this looming beast, but it's actually just, you know, regular people, a lot of, a lot of which, you know, you know, you see that a lot in civil service. Like, people aren't very good at their jobs, but they'll never be fired. The ever. Li- the library, for instance. Yeah. Yeah. And even, you know... You can't get fired there? It's pretty, pretty really, it's really, really difficult. And If you could, I probably would have been, so... <laughs> I don't know, man. The, some my, of the- my boss did not like me. But she never she never disciplined me once. She just, like... She, <laughs> she, would, dis- she would tell me about things that I wasn't doing over and over and over again. 
but she never like made it formal. You just like didn't feel like doing your job. I just like I didn't I didn't smile when the patrons walked in, things like that. I didn't say hello okay. to them. It's like kind of I was just pissed off, you know. I wanted to just read Wikipedia and mind my business till it was time to leave. Yeah, but, I mean, I can. I can. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so I think that's a big part of what Brazil is trying to get at. Mm-hmm. You know. Like, just showing the kind of ineptitude of these big governing bodies. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, so, Tom Stoppard is the sc- one of the screenwriters. And he's a playwright, isn't he? Yeah, he was a playwright. And he's also he's done a couple of screenplays. I think he... Like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are dead. Yeah. And he I think one. he won an Oscar for Shakespeare in Love. And uh, I think you're right. but like apparently he also made like a bunch of jokes that like Gilliam like didn't get, which is something I noticed um, in this director's cut. Like there's a scene, the first scene with um, um, the plastic surgeon where he's like stretching out her face when he like does all the like, you know, paint across her face and then spreads the saran wrap and already she's twice as beautiful as she was before. Voila. In the original one that I saw, like she do, she does the pose, and then Sam goes, "My God, it works." But that's not in this director's cut. And also the whole thing of you know, like, give my regards to Allison and the twins, triplets, triplets. My God, how time flies! Like I don't get that. I have no idea what that means. But uh, but yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, he hasn't seen them in a while. I don't, I, I, don't, I don't know what the joke is exactly. But me yeah. neither. Like, uh, Stoppard just—he's operating at a level that we just can't understand, and he, Gilliam can't either. Yeah, I mean, the man won an Oscar for writing Shakespeare in Love. Okay, let's not put anything <laughs> past him. The guy's a genius. I like Shakespeare in Love, man. It's I didn't. Funny. I didn't see it. I don't know. Oh, all right. Um. Uh. I like the I, fantasy sequences a lot. Yes, yes. Quite a bit, actually. I remember the first time I saw it, I wanted the whole movie to just be the fantasy sequences because I just didn't give a fuck about the rest of it. I could see that. And uh, well, I was very young. I was like, you know, whatever, in high school probably or something. But yeah, um, but yeah the fantasy sequences rule and the whole like gigantic samurai. Really cool imagery. Yeah, with the um, the circuit boards yeah. picking up the armor and all Amazing. that. Amazing. I really like the the baby mask, creepy crawly things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I like the fact that she's floating in a cage too. There's like no explanation. She just she floats, so the cage is floating. Yeah, cool. Super cool. Yeah, good stuff. I liked his armor a lot too, and like the wings and everything. Yeah, just really neato looking shit. Yeah, and this the whole like uh, you know obviously this movie's from 1985, so there's no CG in it, and just the whole like the use of miniatures and. during those sequences and throughout the film, like when De Niro jumps off the balcony and it's like, a, you could tell it's like a miniature, like action figure <laughs> floating down. A yeah, it yeah. just looks cool though. I think it's really neat. Yeah. Looking. And it was cool too, how like they filmed Sam flying. Like mm-hmm. it's a model that actually is going like really like fast and they like, you know, cameras moving around really fast and they film it at a very high speed, but then they slow it down. And then when, Michael Kamen's music comes up. It's like really stately and serene. That's cool. I did not know that. Yeah. Huh. It's, and, it's uh, interesting thinking about a time when 
directors had to come up with visual tricks. Yeah, when they had to think about what they were doing instead yeah, of just yeah. like shipping it off to Korea or whatever the fuck or Industrial Light and Magic. Hey, man. You know? <laughs> There's nothing wrong with Korea. <laughs> I'm just saying, shipping it off to some company who, you know, will yeah. do the work. It reminds me of, uh, like, I just don't understand directors who are so hands-off about shit like that. Like, it reminds me of uh, Anthony Minghella. I watched the making of uh, Cold Mountain on the Cold Mountain, probably the DVD, because it's been a long time. But um, mm. he talks about how, like, every time he makes a film, he he shoots the film, and then when he's done, he just gives it to the editor, and he doesn't hear about it for six months. I'm just like, fuck that shit. How do you do that? Like, that's gross. You must really trust your fucking editor, man. Yeah. Like, like I mean, you at least, like, see a cut every once in a while or something. I mean, that's... Ah, oh, man. I yeah, because, I mean, like... Well, I mean, I can't name a lot of editors that, you know, in just in general, but, like, I mean... They have a thankless job. Yeah. Like, Thelma Schoonmacher is no longer with us, so, like, who... Also, Sally Menke, the uh, yeah. Tarantino's longtime director. He's dead, too. They all die early. Merch. Is he dead? Oh, Walter Walter Merch? Walter Merch. Is he dead? I, I don't think know. he is, but I don't know. Let's see. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like... We're out of editors. Uh, yeah. Exactly. No, he's alive. He is alive. Yeah. He, uh, he stopped Probably working Shane in Shane Carruth 20... edits his own movies, because he literally... I think he's like a one-man crew. But uh, oh, he edited Tomorrowland. Walter Merch. He's <laughs> <laughs> got a documentary come out next year that he that he edited. Uh, oh, he edited Cold Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty wild. So huh? yeah, he's the guy. That, so Minghella has a guy he trusts or had. Yeah, had right. before he died. But right. uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just weird. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, you know, got nothing to do with Brazil. Just. Yeah, the effects are good. They should keep doing miniature effects. <laughs> yeah, there's so much going on in this movie that like, like a lot of it was coming back to me from having watched the like behind the scenes and listening to the commentary and like, like it's just staggering how good this movie really is, and like it's one of the few movies that I think like I mean I don't know how much credit it actually gets. Probably not enough, but credit for what? Uh, you know, like influence, co- like commonly name dropped. You know, I feel like it's a uh, pretty uh, widely uh, widely well regarded among like you know cinephiles and stuff. Okay. I mean, I don't know about like the general community. Like my mom probably hasn't ever heard of Brazil, but yeah, I feel like very very few people will have outside but, of like yeah. But I think if you talk to like a person who's quote into movies unquote they'll probably be like brazil's pretty good i like it yeah <laughs> this is a big um you know for people around our age this is probably a, a huge like rite of passage in college or was you know like because it's, it's one of those and it's like yeah. one of those like this movie is famous and all this production trouble terry gilliam well, monty python connection at this point you might have already seen 12 monkeys or something else I saw oh. Fear and Loathing a million times and 12 Monkeys before I ever saw this, yeah. but yeah. Me too. Um, and, you know, this is just like one of those, um, you know, some of your friends have probably uh, lit up some illicit substances and they're, you know, you just, this is on late at night, often in the dorm room. What that brings us to um, one of my notes, which is uh, personally, I, I feel that um, my favorite Terry Gilliam movie is 12 Monkeys. 
so what what is the best terry gilliam movie is this it for you guys or for, for me, me it is for me it's 12 monkeys <laughs> i mean i really i really like 12 monkeys i really like fear and loathing i really like fisher king but this is probably that's this is probably too, it for me i haven't seen fisher king or time bandits or munchausen so I'm very unschooled. M- Munchausen, I really didn't care for. Time Bandits. Oh, Jabberwocky is like, also haven't ja- seen it. Jabberwocky's okay. Just watched it. Uh, Time Bandits, it's okay. Um, oh, also, this is part of a trilogy. Did you read this? This is part of an unofficial trilogy. I know, right? That's yeah. With Time Bandits and and Munchausen. Munchausen, yeah. yeah. Which they seem unrelated entirely. Like, the, un- like Munchausen and Time Bandits seem more related just than this. Like Gilliam's fantasy. problems with studios trilogy. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> Wasn't it something about fantasy? Like people using fantasy to escape their lives. Yes, yes, yes. Right, yes. right, right. Yes. But like, come on. It sounds like that's just kind of a thing he likes. I won't. I don't want to call that a because that's is Tideland part of the trilogy? Yes. Oh, no, it is. <laughs> it's a quadrilogy. Yeah, Tideland. Yeah. Twenty that. years later. No, what's what's it? Uh, it's the cycle. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and just this never-ending thing of this. Well, I mean, I guess in that way you could call Zero Theorem part of it too. Oh, it has to be. Yeah. 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 So he just likes fantasy stuff. So yeah. Sh- shut up, Terry. Don't ruin even it. fear and loathing using drugs to escape. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. What was your favorite there, Jr. Twelve Monkeys. Yeah. I won't, I won't. Yeah. You can't. I mean. I mean, just, it's close. It's close. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I really like Brazil, and I really like Fear and Loathing. And I haven't seen Fisher King. I, I, I feel like I haven't seen shit this guy's done, but I just, 12 Monkeys is like on another level for me. I think it's fantastic. Yeah, I mean. It's like Bruce Willis's best acting. It's some of Brad Pitt's. It makes uh, Madeline Stowe bearable. I mean, it's just incredible, you know. Christopher Plummer. I feel bad liking his. Christopher Plummer is in it. Yeah, <laughs> what who does he play? The dad, uh, Brad Pitt's father. Oh no, shit. Yeah, I don't. I'll be honest. I don't remember seeing his father in the movie. I think he's in there for maybe like because he talks five about seconds. his father a lot. Yeah, I, I think. Yeah, I think you maybe see him for like five seconds. So That's also uh, Brad Pitt's only acting nomination that he's ever gotten. Yeah, for Oscar. Uh, this is also it's like Gilliam's only studio success. Monkeys, yeah, 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 it, yeah. It actually made some money. Sure, I would have thought that Fear and Loathing would be that a was pretty strange picture. It was, I don't know. yeah, it I was know, also but like not... there, but there are a lot of fans of Hunter S. Thompson and a lot of fans of drug movies. You know, yeah, it was not critically acclaimed either, which I thought was weird. Huh, it is strange. Because people were people were down with Twelve Monkeys. He, uh, if I read that uh, Brazil got a lot of critical acclaim, though. That he showed. Did, uh, did you read the thing about him yeah. showing it at college or what? Or some college, and then they like the critics snuck into the showing or something. I don't part, know. part of that. Apparently, is... he was doing clandestine showings for critics back in the day, yeah. and like he took out a full page ad in Variety, right. like and named the head of Universal. It's like, when are you gonna release my movie Brazil? Yeah. So like, it's no like. Terry Gilliam makes some very weird movies, and he definitely has this... Com- Terry Gilliam very much has a persecution complex about, you know, like, oh, no one will let me make the movies that I want to make. No one will do this. No one will do that. And it's like, yeah, but you have also consciously antagonized so many people to where now it's like, 
Of course, they're not going to let you do that, Terry. I also don't feel like like, I don't. Yeah, I also don't feel like they're that strange. I feel like they're strange for the big studios. Like if you go to Warner Brothers and pitch them Twelve Monkeys, like they might be like, "Eh, "That's a little weird," but I mean, like, it's not that weird. Like, no, they're they're pretty. Like, it's not like like I remember watching Brazil the first time and thinking it was really hard to follow. This movie's not hard to follow at all. Like, it's very. No, easy to follow. Like, Very it's, simple it's, plot. Really. It's not only a matter of strange; it's a matter of Terry Gilliam using like monumental amounts of money mm-hmm. for stuff that the big wigs know is going to be for a very niche market. Right, that's true. So, like, you know, they're strange in that they're not going to make money and that they're not for everybody. And, and, yeah, and Gilliam yeah. is definitely demanding money. Yeah, because yeah, his he's demanding are money so and he's demanding final big. cut right. and and a lot of other things that like. I mean, you look you look at say like Jabberwocky, which was independently financed, and then probably Time Bandits, the same thing. I would imagine. So then you like you get to Brazil, where he's got like a studio behind him, and like he doesn't really have a track record for making back the money that they that they've given. I'm gonna and you know I'm not trying to say oh well they should just give artsy directors money. You know money should be no object. Like I. I understand they have, you know, especially but, back then in the 80s, they're just trying to, yeah, they're trying to make some money. I think it is telling that it has taken so long for him to get his Don Quixote film yeah, financed. Yeah. Like, people are handing out money to directors uh, knowing that they will not make all this money back. Uh, that's happening all the time. But it's not happening for Terry Gilliam, and I'm pretty sure it's because people know he's fucking difficult. And he has, like, production problems just seem to follow him around. And Mm -hmm. at some point, they have... Some of them just have to be his fault. Like, he just has to be a a difficult fucker to work with. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, speaking of just, like, throwing money down the drain, I mean, I read that uh, Will Smith and Johnny Depp, like, they haven't... They haven't made back their movies haven't been profitable either one of them in like ten years or something like that. And Johnny Depp is still one of the highest paid actors in Hollywood. Wow. But he never makes his money back. Which is strange because you and then you think about like the movies that he's in, it's like, you know, Pirates of the Caribbean has to be profitable, but it's not. Yeah. And like obviously you know, something like Black Mass, you can imagine like that probably didn't make a lot of money and uh yeah. These, these smaller films that he does, but it's like he's still making, you know, $20 million. He's still, you know, a fifth of the budget is probably going to him, which is just, like, ridiculous. But, again, it's yeah. like, yeah, they're, they're they're basing that on his heyday, I guess, or him having made money in the past. Yeah, Whereas yeah. Gilliam doesn't have a heyday. Like, he's never made money. So, yeah, obviously, it's going to be difficult for him to get money. And, yeah, on top of the fact that he does seem like a total dick. I mean, even if you watch... Uh, yeah the documentary lost in La Mancha. Like he, he's, yeah, he doesn't seem like a very pleasant individual. Yeah. I mean, like he's kind of the quintessential art house, pretentious fop, Hmm. you know, like everything is art and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, I'm sorry, Terry. I realize you grew up in the swing in sixties, but like, that's not like, apparently that was one of the big reasons that he made uh, fear and loathing. Cause like, you know, the 60s were a big happening time where a lot of social change came around. And he was, like, looking at the decadence of the 80s. And, like, he was hoping the 90s would kind of, you know, the cycle would turn around again. And then when it didn't, you know, he, like, 
identified with Hunter S. Thompson's disillusionment. <laughs> which, like... <laughs> Sorry, man. Well, uh, I was just going to say, I don't think I have anything else to say neither. about this movie. I'm yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ratings? Uh, may, may, sure. Okay. Right. Why not? <laughs> you just always you gotta make, start with somebody. Yeah. So the new guy's always got to go fucking first, right? You're the new um, guy. Pretty soon, you're not going to be the new guy anymore, and right. then uh, we can uh, dispense with all that. Yeah. yeah. But I'll always be newer than you guys. That's true. Yeah. God. Yeah. It's hazing. Uh, <laughs> no, I'm going to go uh, four and a half. Four and a half out of five. Love, um, love almost everything about it. I feel like we we have just a couple parts where. You know, Terry Gilliam just kind of loses uh, loses the pace a little bit, mm-hmm. loses control. You know, that's it. Four and a half. Five. I am also a four and a half. Uh, yeah, good movie. Uh, next week, we don't have any feedback, but if you want to get to us, uh, reach us with your feedback, feel free to email us at feedbackfilmyacpodcast.com. Visit our website, filmyakpodcast.com. Next week, Jonathan assures me that he'll be here. And he has a movie that he wants us to watch, which will be his pick, which is The Mirror, 1975, directed by Andrei Tarkovsky, which I have not seen. I've only seen this on VHS. Oh, that's fun. um, That's good. I'm now excited. Should be good then. Uh, Yeah, so uh, that's going to be our deep dive next week. Um, Thanks for listening. And... She is a stage performer. Yeah. And also very talented. I don't like her music, but she can play the shit out of whatever she plays. Uh, piano, mostly. But um, Yeah, yeah. And even yeah, if... No yeah, not a huge fan of her music either. But she can sing. She's got pipes. That too. That the... <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> this that What you just said, that she can sing. It's like... <laughs> I mean... I'm sorry. Singing is not that big of a deal. Like who? Like I would. I would say the majority of humanity could sing if they tried. Like most. Like a lot of people are tone deaf and can't. Like Jonathan, for instance, he cannot sing. Okay. Like he he could try and he cannot carry a tune, and that's fine. That's just like you know. But I would venture to guess that more people than not can carry a tune and can sing a song if they actually tried or if they actually wanted to. I don't think well, they, they can, can maybe sing s- like her. Yeah. I don't, okay, okay. Sing, yes, sing well. Okay, how hard is it to sing like her? Now, let's break that down. How many seasons of American Idol have we had so far with how many people per season who can sing exactly like she sings? Like, I just, like, <laughs> what is what is interesting about this? How many people can't, whoa! I mean, it's just, like, it's, like, it's just not Wait, that interesting. But in, okay, so, sure. But there's also, again, the, uh, you know, the being the multi-instrumentalist, the writing your music no problem with that i that's that takes talent to play multiple instruments play a instrument an instrument takes talent but to sing sorry it's not that big of a deal
How much, how much singing did you do in your musical career? What do you mean when I was like in bands yeah, and yeah. stuff? I was a lot. I was always the singer. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what do you mean? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I was, I was, I was the singer. I don't, I'm not saying I, I'm not saying I'm not even saying I, I can sing as well as she can. I just don't hold that much value to, in singing. It's like a lot of people. A lot of people can sing. Big fucking deal. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I think a lot of people are very bad singers. So when you actually find someone who can actually have a range and but to you know me, good vo- you know breath control sure, sure, sure. and stuff like that like that's that like you know yeah maybe anyone can just walk but, down the street and sing a tune but like but there's more when than they can actually like Jonathan's do it gonna call that stuff training well i would say there's i would say there's diff there's a difference between tech between being technically proficient at something mm-hmm. and actually like having passion and doing something well like uh kurt cobain does not technically have as good a voice as Mariah Carey, but his songs are much better because he has much more enthusiasm and passion and like guttural aesthetic than she has. Right? She's singing to be perfect. Like Christina Aguilera is singing to be perfect. Like they're singing. They're they're trying to achieve something totally different than you know singers that you and I are into would be trying to achieve. Is that fair? Sure. Right. I mean, like Frank Zappa. <laughs> is not singing to be perfect, right? He's singing to be interesting. No, that's that's why he got like the real, the real stuff. He left to like Tina Turner and the Ikeettes mm-hmm. and Ike Willis and Ray White. All right, let's actually start the episode now. Sure. <laughs> 